What's up, you guys? It is Captain Cook, and you're about to listen to episode 26 of Spicy Memories, featuring your certified nightmare prescriber and the host of Lullaby the Fear podcast. It is I, Ashley Lana. <laughs> Use my body to keep you alive. Now on Ashley's podcast, she tries to scare people. On my podcast, I try and make them hungry. So, tonight, we're going to see if we could possibly do both. So hang in with us as we navigate our way through these very, very rough waters. And maybe you'll get a little hungry. But either way, we are really, really glad you came. But don't get too comfortable, because... Sweet dreams are made of these. Lights out. What's up, guys? It's Captain Cook. Welcome back to Spicy Memories, the podcast where we talk about food and life and stuff. Today, as per usual, but a little more than usual, I am joined by a very special guest. I am joined by somebody who is an absolute badass, somebody who is monumental, a fierce metaphorical tower of Canadian greatness that just looms over the rest of the society up there, and they have no idea what they're dealing with. Ashley Lana from the Lullaby Fear podcast. Uh, Ashley it is, is I don't, I don't, there's, there's, it's a better list to say what you're not, but you are a, you were a film student. You're a film, huge film buff, a horror fan. You're a published model. You're a creative writer. Uh, you're a professional technician. Like I'm like, you, you are <laughs> literally like, I, like I'm trying to find stuff on a list that you're not. That would be easier than me trying to like go down the list of all the things that you occupy your time with, which is fascinating. And now you have started a podcast uh, dedicated to scaring the ever-loving shit out of anybody who yeah. <laughs> decides to <laughs> decides to listen to it. And that is the main reason, aside from the fact that I genuinely just enjoy all of our conversations, um, recorded or not. Um, and yes, we have unrecorded conversations. Maybe that'll be my, maybe that'll be like my basement tapes, you know, like the Bob Dylan tapes they find. Yeah, I do right? that. Yeah, which is a real thing, by the way. I don't know if you know that. Um, <laughs> there, was a, there was a band called the New Basement Tapes. And it was like Marcus Mumford from Mumford and Sons and like, a bunch of other people and they found these lyrics of Bob Dylan's that he wrote in Woodstock, New York, but never recorded. And they all recorded new music for them in like 2014 and they like put it out and stuff. So that sounds like a plot for that's what's going to happen. Yeah. That's what's going to happen to our, our conversations that you didn't even know that all of them, like even the ones that weren't recorded. I don't know how some just, they're going to come up with technology in like 20 years and be like, we have every conversation you've ever had. And then, oh God, I hope not. <laughs> imagine. So, Could you anyway. imagine? You know the shit I say when I'm <laughs> like, when I'm like researching an episode. Oh God, woof! I think I, to some of the stuff I've even messaged people and said, and I'm like, I don't want that in the world. That's like, no, like woof. That's, like, that's no bueno. I'm definitely blacklisted on the CIA website. For I don't know how. I, I don't know how I haven't gotten flagged. I'm not even kidding. Like, and I'm not. I don't mean that in like a perverted way. Like, you know, I mean, no one's, no one's, no one's, no one's amazingly proud of No one's recorded their, you yet. No, and no one's amazingly proud of their own porn searches, but it just in general, like with what I've searched on the internet in the past like decade, I am surprised that they haven't shown up and been like, we, we need to chat, buddy boy. Why don't you, why don't you pop a squat and tell us what's going on here? Cause you know, but anyway, listen, um, welcome to uh, the show. Welcome to Spicy Memories Solo. This is your second time on my show this, this is. is your first time solo though um ah. and i am so fucking excited so i gave you a wee bit of an intro why don't you give people a little tiny spiel on who you is and what you about and uh you know talk yourself up man give yourself that glowing 
injection of steroids in the bo- booty. You know what I mean? Go ahead. I'm not really good at uh, self-promotion. <laughs> How nice. That's exactly what somebody who's really good at self-promotion says. That's when the cannibalism <laughs> started. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jeffrey Dahmer quote. Well, I think I should just say it. Hello, 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 my pretties. Mm. <laughs> it is I, Ashley Lana, your certified nightmare prescriber from the Lullaby Fear Podcast. And yeah, this is my ro- this is my voice. This is how I talk. And what, what do I got for you? You pretty much gave me a full disclosure when you started the episode. Yeah, sorry about that. I get a little overexcited sometimes. <laughs> that, was, that, was a, that was a very good intro, though. That was like, and that, you did touch upon something that I just want to compliment you in the beginning so that the entire fucking world can hear me. Was your it voice, my Jeffrey Dahmer quote? Oh, my voice. That was great. But your voice itself is, first of all, awesome just in general. But for a podcast, it's like perfect. And for this specific kind of podcast, it's really a cool juxtaposition. Smart word. Uh, with like, <laughs> with, like, yikes. Um, I shouldn't say that. Uh, like, it's a really, really, really good kind of blend of like your voice, which is very smooth and you keep it very like moderated, but you, you know, and you sound very natural and you use your breath correctly and you know how to, you know, carry yourself through a long conversation, but you're talking about like truly horrid shit. And in the case of the last episode, right? with the hikers in Russia, which I don't want to give too much away, but you guys, if you haven't listened to the, you know, the lullaby fear podcast, you absolutely fucking need to. I'm going to post everything obviously in all my releases and you've probably seen me promoting it on Instagram. And if you haven't, and you don't follow me on Instagram, then I don't know who you are. So hi, but um, <laughs> don't know why you're here, but what's up. Um, so the third episode was really great because it's like, it wasn't even so much that it was like a horror film or like a possession. It was, you were trying to kind of navigate your way through this, insane mixture of weird like circumstances coincidences weird evidence omitted evidence from the russian government in like 1959 right and it's weird because you get so sucked in and i think part of it is because you kind of keep us all there with that with that tone you know i try very hard i try not to sound like a drone when i talk you don't you don't and we said this on the live but again tell the people how you record your episodes because i love this okay so for those of you listening, I do not get scared. I am practically a robot. And that's just from years of being immersed in goosebumps and tales from the crypt and Eating a nightmare better. on Elm Street. I love that stuff. Yeah. And, and then eventually those movies just, they weren't doing it for me. And Hollywood just progressively got worse. And so like, you know what? Time to advance to some real crime. And I started watching true crime and reading true crime and now that doesn't scare me. So when I decided to do a podcast, I'm like, I'm going to close myself in a room with nothing in it, turn off all the lights, light candles around me and read from my notebook. Mm. And it's in hopes that I scare myself while I'm recording. See that alone, the fact that you're on a journey to scare yourself as well as everyone else who's listening, that's what's awesome. A never-ending quest to it's scare It's a never-ending quest to scare the shit out of you <laughs> to where you have to run and put the lights on and find your cat. Uh, and be like, come here. <laughs> like, get over here. I need you. Uh, like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's so weird that you, I don't know. A, a lot of true crime podcasts, they don't do that because like you'll listen to some of these voices and it's just kind of like this fucking 
this like monotone kind of like storytelling in a lot of cases. And some of them who do have some production value and they put like background noises and scenes, like she was walking down the street when it was late at night and then you hear like footsteps or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it just, it sounds a little bit too much like William H. Macy and Seabiscuit, you know what I mean? Like with the, I know exactly you know, what you mean. Yeah. That's weird. You're the only fucking person. In the I know world. exactly what you mean. You are the only person <laughs> in the world who would understand that reference. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> but it's true. Like you just sound like you got like all these effects, you know, it's so you don't do that, which is good. All of your background is a lot of just kind of like these beautiful, like ominous kind of tones that carry everything really well and fill in any empty space that, you know, there may be, which is fucking dope, but I don't know. I mean, I got, so to start, I guess, just like, I don't know, tell me exactly when you decided fuck it. And you were just like, like, I'm, I guarantee you, you've probably been thinking about this for longer than you've actually been doing it. I'm assuming. It's been a long time. Like you didn't just wake up like the undertaker, like, and just like decide to start a podcast. Right? I like, must do a whole <laughs> podcast. Like, like, no, you didn't just like rise up and be like, today is the day. No, like, so I don't know. When, when did this all begin? Well, initially years ago, I always just wanted to start a podcast because I was always listening to podcasts. I love listening to people give information. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted, I wanted to be a part of a group of people that were obsessed with true crime to the extent of the amount of details in a case. Okay. Because with me, I like, listening to podcasts but i listen to a variety of where some of them will leave out details because people can't listen to that kind of graphic descriptions and then there's somewhere there's more than one host which is fine based on my mood but sometimes i'm not in the mood for humor when i'm mm-hmm. listening to something yeah that's true and i wanted to do a podcast where it was myself praying to god i could hold a damn show on my own with <laughs> this monotone voice I have and I started another podcast and then that's where I kind of built up my production skills and fucking yeah you do (laughs) and how to edit and I'm like you know what I can finally do it I can do a horror podcast because it is hard as you would know to hold a show on your own it's difficult yeah I know I've how you do all your episodes solo I mean, granted, you're diving yourself into like stories and you're keeping yourself occupied as far as that. My episodes, and I think I've even said this to you, I'll be like recording when I'm alone and I'll be speaking. And while I'm speaking, I'm just like, I don't even know what I'm saying right now. Like I'm too much thinking in my own head. I'm not even aware of what I'm actually saying. So half the time I listen to the episodes before I air them. And it's almost like listening to them for the first time. It's like That's, driving to work in the morning. Sometimes yeah. I don't even know how the hell I get there. No, you just How appear. many red lights did I run? Like I'm not, I'm not even kidding. I have an hour drive to work every morning. I'm, I get to certain points where I'm just like, I don't think I've like actually paid attention to the road in like 30 minutes. Like, and you just like, you, you zone out so much, like, and you just get in your own head. It's just like, things become so automatic, which is like good and bad. You know, I mean, it's, it's good that I can survive and drive every day like that. Now I don't yeah, know, but the fact that you're able to do that, but you can't, you can't zone out. That's the thing. Cause you're like, you're diving into and you're making the rest of us dive into a lot of these like details and stories and stuff like that so like I don't know is there anything you do specifically to kind of help yourself like focus I my head is constantly going with the information that I'm taking and I'm constantly referencing in my head other sources that I've taken from because 
I go to so many sources and I triple check my sources because if you only have one source, unless that source is straight out of the victim or the criminal's mouth, then there's going to be a lot of mugginess. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't like that. I'm one of those people where if he says that he killed this person, I want to know how, what was going on in his head, what he told people and how he feels about it to this day. And with my show, I'm constantly thinking of that because I have everything in jot notes and it takes me two days to go over a case because the majority of the cases that I study, I know, like I know the cases, but when I go into it to record, I want to make sure that I have every detail and I don't want to forget any details. So I have my little jot note that is lit by candlelight (laughs) and I just go, I just talk. As you listening can tell, I can yeah. just talk for hours. <laughs> yeah, but that's, again, the fact that you cross-reference as much as you do, right? And you really need to, like, get multiple sources and, like, all this stuff. Most people, even people who have run a lot of these true crime, um, blah, 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 Jesus Christ. <laughs> Speaking into a microphone, you'd think I'd be better at this than now. Um, you dive into it even more than people who already do true crime kind of podcasts. Like, a lot of true crime podcasts that I've listened to, they don't get as into detail as you. They don't have multiple sources like you. They don't find, oh, I don't know, fucking autopsy reports sometimes. You know, it's like so <laughs> crazy person. Um, so like, so that's where it really sets you apart though too, is like, is all that like mass amount of like reassurance and like cross-referencing and like detailing and doing background research on something like, oh, I don't know, radiation uh, you know what can, what can i say i could build a nuclear bomb right now don't flag me don't flag me don't flag me you think i'm gonna cut that out but i'm not no, <laughs> so, no they're gonna listen to that here and be like she's in canada it's fine she's <laughs> in canada be, it'll be, be a peaceful nuke yeah a it's peaceful it's nuke it's like it'll be fine if, if any smoke comes over the border they'll pop over and be like oh sorry bud it's like oh that catch you a bit I'm like oh sorry oh, sorry there bud just going to timmy's pop the nuke why can't everybody be as polite as fucking canadians you know Oh, we're not that nice. You are just, that was very Canadian, by the way. Um, it was no. the humblest. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, they are that nice. Maybe not to each other sometimes and maybe not behind closed doors, but when it matters in front of other people, absolutely, you know? But so I ask you then, have you ever successfully scared yourself so far in these three episodes or any of the research or... Have you ever, all right, well, no, not the research, because the research can be disturbing on its own outside of that. But I mean, recording with the lights off by candlelight, you know, with, you know, a violence playing in the background from the weird quartet that you hired to come and sit in the room for every time you record, because I'm sure that's how it's done. Um, have you ever <laughs> actually, have you ever <laughs> actually had to like, get up and be like, woof, and like, sh- turn the lights on for a few minutes? I haven't. And that's where, when people listen to my episode, they're gonna be like, you're fucking nuts. <laughs> That's I'm, honestly, yeah. Like, because you, you read all this stuff with, I don't want to say enthusiasm because that's the wrong word. It's not no, just you like, can say enthusiasm. I'm like, very enthusiastic. But not, not in the enthusiasm <laughs> kind of way that you think I'm like, it's not just like, and then she was beheaded. Like, no, it's not like that. You know, you I'm not, down, you know. I'm not glamorizing serial killers. I think okay. they're all fucking terrible. Which is a very important point to make. Cause a lot, a lot of people who don't like true crime and horror stuff 
argue that point, which is like, well, are you, should you really be bringing light to like all this stuff, which is a valid point. I get it. it you know, whatever. But if you make it clear that you're reading this for the very fact that it is so like inhumane and like horrible and usually goes against our human instincts or does it. Um, and uh, <laughs> that's, I want to make this point is, yeah, I am very desensitized to all this stuff, but not because I don't care about it. It's because right. I am so psychologically invested into the brain patterns as to why criminals do these things that's what fascinates me and that's why i want to know all the little details because even with like the dietlov case even though that wasn't a serial killer case little one little detail can change an entire story like if i if i told the dietlov case and then left out the part about the helicopter pilots refusing to take the bodies up there right that would have really make oh maybe it was an avalanche you know like it's those little details that are really important and especially when you're when you're telling a case now i'm not i don't think i'm better than anybody because i can sit through all this stuff i would just make a very good forensic like a good forensics expert yes you would which I'm i'm surprised that you know and that's, that's how I defend myself when people go like, how do you listen to that? And it's because I just like learning about how people have gotten to that point. And then you recognize patterns psychologically. Right. And I just find it fascinating. That's, that's what I like. Not everybody likes that. And right. that's okay. <laughs> so okay. before I get hate mail, remember <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think I'm my own gonna, person. Yeah, I don't. It's not like this is not like you know, early onset diabetes. You're not going to get a sixty percent <laughs> of the country being like this killed my father. Like no, um, I, th- I, I think you'll be okay. I just um, love people knowing the full story, which is what's most important because you're. I mean, you even left. I don't want no. See, <laughs> I need to not ruin <laughs> the episodes. Okay you put everything out there for everyone to listen to. Like you're not giving us any information that isn't technically publicly available. It's just a matter of how deep you're willing to dig and how much you're willing to cross-reference and how much you're willing to maybe interpret. But you don't even go as far as that because you are very careful in your show about speculation and about allegedly and hearsay, hearsay, whatever, you know? So it's more like you're giving all this like information that's already out there and you're kind of prompting everyone to be like, I bet you didn't know that all this shit existed. Like, listen to this, you know, and especially with that last case. Cause like the first two episodes were great, obviously. And the first one, as I've told you multiple times, fucking had me just like, Got I just him. stopped in my track. For those of you who Got weren't him. on our, our live, I was listening to, um, I'm forgetting her name again. Uh, uh, Mikkel. Annalise Mikkel. Annalise Mikkel. Thank you. Um, I was listening to the possession of Annalise McHale, that whole first episode, and Ashley has recordings in the middle of the goddamn episode of one of the actual exorcisms that happened. And I was doing that as I was just out of the shower because I had it playing the whole time because that's a great thing to play when there's a lot of, like, you know, objects that I could just blunt my fucking head against and kill myself. Um, and, um, and I got out, and I'm, like, brushing my beard, and I'm listening, and the part of the exorcism came on with, like, the growling. And, like, and I'm like... I literally just stopped and I was just like holding my brush and I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, I have to be at work in like 40 minutes. How the fuck? Like it was, it was rough. So I don't know that that was great. The third episode though was very different 
because I think I'm sure this was intentional, but even if it wasn't, you kind of pulled out a, a card in, in your sleeve that nobody really knew about. Cause now all of a sudden you've escalated from just like a horror podcast to all of a sudden, not even true crime. You unfolded something conspiracy. that happened. Conspiracy, something that happened fucking what are we now? Sixty years? Sixty two right? years ago. Sixty two years ago you unfolded something that you found more detail on than you would be able to find in some modern cases. And you interpreted all of it and you laid it all out there for us. And that was unique. That was weird. I was like, mm. like I listened to the most of that, the finishing end of it while I was like, you know, chopping up vegetables for like a salad for lunch the next day and stuff. So I'm just like sitting there and I'm just like mindlessly like, you know, like chiffonading mm-hmm. like parsley and basil and like cutting fucking carrots. And I'm just like, listening to you talk about some of these like graphic things and how their bodies were laid out in the snow as I'm hearing like the crunch of the carrot. And I got very <laughs> like, I got very like Dexter intro kind of like vibes, you know what I mean? Like with his fucking, all his like cooking and the eggs and the steak and shit. Um, but I don't know. See what your approach seems more like a mind hunter kind of deal where you really want to get the behind the psychology of it because you're really interested in all the details for that reason. Like it's not, you're not taking notes. I don't think though. I don't know. I mean, if you were, none of us would know because you clearly know enough to be really good at this point. Okay. Let me just spit (laughs) some facts. Only, only 10% of females are one-time murderers and 15% are serial killers, which means two to three more. Exactly. And they're crimes of passion. And I myself have a guilty conscience and I couldn't live with myself. And I would end up being some girl's bitch in prison. And I couldn't take that. Okay. No, I think, I think, I think, I, I, mm, I think, I think you could probably not be somebody's bitch. I feel like you would have to flip it around. I feel like, I feel like if you were prompted with that, you've, you've, you've taken in enough hard details where you could, you could ignite that flame inside of you and be like, and just like, no. And then just start, you do the kneeling. Yeah. You just start doing the kneeling. You know what I mean? So. Kneel. (laughs) um, No, I think you'd be fine. No, obviously it's a, you're not, you're not a serial killer as far as any of us know. Ah. But then again, none of us will really ever know. So who knows? Um, (laughs) So flag this episode. No. Um, Sorry. That was me talking to the (laughs) FBI. Um, my FBI agent is just going, fuck, Ashley, just stop know, talking. Right? Just, it's just stop like he's it. like marking the notes. He's like, fuck, fuck. Just like, oh, God. It's I'm on your face. side, Ashley. Shut up. <laughs> I have to do the fucking, what is that thing from Men in Black? He's going to have to erase everybody's mind that you know. Speaking uh, of which, because we yeah. were talking about how like, I do conspiracies and stuff, right? You do, yes. I am going to do an episode on the Men in Black. And I've mentioned this before because. You did, yes. Yeah, like the Men in Black, everybody pictures. Okay clarification Mm -hmm. i am not some loony with a pot (laughs) bottle that i piss in in front of a laptop for hours on end like she is she is wearing an aluminum foil hat right now but that is totally totally outside of the point so i took hours making this (laughs) (laughs) it's a hershey kiss in my outfit (laughs) that's a good analogy (laughs) oh god But yeah, I don't, and I said it on my episodes, like I am a very open-minded skeptic. I'm very open-minded to everybody's beliefs, which is why when I did my podcast, I never want to lead the witness, so to speak. I want people to be, here are, here's all the information. Right. What do you think? 
because everybody has their beliefs right. and unless there's a definitive answer then it's open to speculation and i myself love that like i love hearing other people's points of views as right. long as it doesn't end in a fight because i don't have time for that shit right and when i do conspiracy theories I love finding absolutely everything so I can go, mm, no, that doesn't make sense. Or mm, no, that doesn't make sense. It's like those together make sense, but then it counteracts that one. And I love giving people these prompts to just think about it after the episode's done. And that's kind of where I'm going with it. And the men in black episode, man, I'm still researching it. I started it cause I'll research about three cases a week. Really? I, that many yeah. a week? Well, it's cause I think all the time about this stuff. Like I, I just, I gotta go become a cop. Really do I have fucking, you really do have a strong stomach. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> but it's just, I don't even really play video games anymore because I used to be a really big gamer. And now I love reading. I'm just always reading about this stuff. And yeah. it's more or less for the psychology. So when I do the Men in Black episode, it's not going to be Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. It's going to be stuff that just judging by your response to what I'm saying, it's all going to be new to you. And I'm yeah. so excited for that. I love this that. as a surprise, but not everybody has the discipline and dedication <laughs> that you do, especially for stuff like, like I will wormhole a lot with certain things, right? I will just go down this crazy rabbit hole and just, I will dig into certain things that I find, especially when it comes to, you know, like arrests or murders and stuff. Like I find myself researching something on the computer for like an hour and a half when it was just something that I, you know, kind of grazed upon grazed upon that's definitely not the right phrase doesn't matter anyway um <laughs> like because <laughs> i said grazed upon now i'm just picturing like cows um so i yeah, like i get it but not everyone has that level of like discipline and like dedication to it which is also kind of amazing because you really are doing that though you're laying it out there for everybody like you're not trying to push a narrative necessarily and you make suggestions here and there but like you also are really there to like get behind you know maybe is this why this happened like i don't know but here's all the fucking facts and why it did happen and you've got more detail than most true crime shows that i've listened to like you know and i've listened to a lot of bad ones i actually didn't listen to them for a very long time until yours for that reason because i was like so turned off by so many of them and sometimes it was like the extremes like a few of them i listened to were just like fucking graphic like with no rhyme or reason and it's very, I, I try very hard to not glamorize the, the crimes, but I also want everyone to know exactly what happened and I don't want it to sound boring. Right. And I want people to, I want people to genuinely feel like they're hearing a case and a story at the same time without being bored. I mean, that's it's a hard thing to achieve and you kind of did it, which is nice. I mean, it's like, I, I, in all three episodes, right. Never got bored ever. Oh, in God. fact, in fact, the last episode, especially I had listened to the beginning of it and then I had to pause it. And then I had to listen to more of it. And then I had to pause it. And I was getting annoyed that I wasn't able to just listen to it all the way through. So definitely wasn't boring, but you know, when you finally decided that you told me that you were going to launch this, I was like, I was kind of excited because I know how you feel about it. You know, because I've heard on your like your old podcast, you did an episode and I've just heard you speak about it in general. And I'm just like, she's because you're, you're, you're kind of the perfect person to do something like this because you can, you? you can kind of stay unbiased. You have a good voice for it. Um, you're also extremely intelligent. You know how to interpret results and look at analytics and interpret data. And also, I don't know, cross-reference. 
uh, learn everything there is to know about radiation if you're just, you know, researching a case. So, like, that's the kind of thing that would get me into, like, a fear, true crime, horror, conspiracy kind of podcast. It's making me feel like I'm not walking into just a straight horror film or, you know, making me feel like I'm not walking into the perspective of, like, well, yeah, he probably did kill her, and this is why, you know. Like, not just, like, no, like, premeditated anything, just kind of, like, here's everything, here are the facts, like, here's why, and, like, things that, like, you, like, listening to it to hear how you got the information, even sometimes you're just like, damn, you're just like, you're like, how the fuck, like, it's- Because I have to know. I have yeah, to see, know that. Yeah, that right there, like, that right there, you saying that, like, I have to know. Like, that is what sets it apart, is you being, like, like, I needed to know what's what's been going on, you know? And, like, when you're that passionate about something, you will find out. Like, you will. Like, there's this guy in Anthony Bourdain's book that he wouldn't name, a guy he used to work for, this manipulative, brilliant, psychotic, compassionate, like power-hungry, welcoming, micromanaging restaurant owner. Sounds like a 3 a.m. case for Ashley Lana. Called, uh, <laughs> he called him in the book. He was, he was a boss of his, and he only referred to him as Bigfoot. He claimed in the book that anybody in the restaurant business who knew of this guy on the West Village, like you would have known who he was. And so I was like, I listened to this whole chapter and him referenced him throughout the book and about all the shit that he went through and all this stuff. And I'm like, I got to find out who the fuck this guy was. And there is like nothing about him online. So I had to just research and research and look at, you know, possible names and like restaurant owners. And like, I ended up finding the most I found was, a friend of his talking about his obituary in 2018 and then a news article that he was interviewed for, for the New York times that was released in 2001 um, after they had just reopened after nine 11 happened. That was about it. And like, I was satisfied with myself because I'm just like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is the end of what I'm going to find. I mean, probably not. I could probably go into the town records and find licensing and stuff like that, whatever. But being that into something to the point where like you need to know you know what i mean like and i'm talking i spent way too much time in one particular evening literally typing in like who is bigfoot like first of all good tip don't just type into google who is bigfoot not a good idea <laughs> um took me a it's while like, to don't get forget the r when googling right. gary oldman <laughs> oh, <laughs> there you go uh <laughs> Yes. Fun fact. Don't forget the M when you're typing in lemonparty.org. No. Um, <laughs> um, but like knowing something that much is what sets it aside. And I think people can tell. Like if I decided to do an investigative podcast into this Bigfoot person, that it sounds – it's the stupidest thing that you probably have ever heard. But that alone would be something where I would happily dedicate hours of my life to finding out what the fuck is going on. Like – Finding out, stupid at all. Like the fact that I only know that there was a restauranteur named Andy Menchel who ran a bunch of restaurants in like the 70s and 80s and 90s in New York City and he was alive in the early 2000s when he was already like 57 and then he died in like 2018 because he was pretty sick and there isn't even like a real obituary online. The only thing is like one Instagram post from like his trainer or something who was just like, I miss Andy, you know, whatever. And like that alone would make me just happily dive into it. So when you that comes that comes forth when people notice that like when 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 that's really present and that's kind of how you are with this i mean it's like you can tell when you listen to it that you really like really are into it and i don't mean into it like it's not like a kink 
but you know, no. it's, it's, it's no. not like a king, but you are like in it. You know what I mean? I shouldn't say into it. You're in it. Like you are like putting yourself in there. So I don't know. I mean, did you decide? Is, I, I, I'm assuming, I'm just going to take a little shot in the dark there. That, that's probably just a personality trait, like how you are, like in for a penny, in for a pound. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's I'm assuming that's a personality trait, but it's a curse. Do you need to kind of keep yourself motivated in any of these cases? Do you need to kind of keep yourself in that mind state? Because that it takes a lot to really buckle down that much. It surprisingly doesn't take me a lot to find information because I'm very blessed with being good at recalling information and recognizing bullshit when I when I see it or right. hear it in this case. And when I was in university, they pretty much half your grade came from your sources. And like, they had to teach you where to find your sources and they had and, to be uh, legit. And how to properly cite them. Yeah. Like. Oh yeah. So that, like, for example, today I was researching a case that I was doing and I cross-referenced five different sites and two of them had incorrect information. And I can pick these things out and it's those little things that are so important because I feel like somebody will Google, I'm just going to throw out everybody's go-to serial killer who I can't fucking stand. We'll go Ted Bundy. Okay. <laughs> I can't, I fucking hate Ted Bundy. He is so overrated, which is a terrible thing to say with all respect to the families. So <laughs> with him is people will Google Ted Bundy and then yeah. you get like a Wikipedia page of all oh, yeah. the information and it's very basic. And then if you wanted to wormhole a bit, you'll get into some of the more gruesome details. And then there's the people who are really true crime fans and they'll go and they'll want to know like specifically the days when stuff happened. And then there's me right. and I want to know what they had for breakfast, what color their shirt was when they walked out of the house and what color that shirt was that they find at the crime scene. And that's the stuff I want to know. And it's out there but so many people don't want to have to look for it. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I love looking for it. Like that's my hobby. That's what I like doing. And I wanted to present it in a way where people don't have to go to 50, 50 sources to find Ted Bundy's shirt on Friday, the 12th of I October. Know. So that's how I do it. But that's, I'm just, I'm programmed that way. Like I don't see it as work. I find it fun. Which is, I mean, the, first of all, the fact that you find it fun is not, is actually good. I mean, most people would say maybe that's a bad habit. No, I think, I think that's actually the fact that you're able to dedicate that much time and dive into something and enjoy it like that and not just enjoy it, but get like a product, not a product, an end result out of it. Like you're able to put out this podcast as a result of all of this research and hard work. And I don't know. I mean, if it were me, that what you do would seem kind of like closure a little bit. I mean, have you ever been researching some of these things and then like you've researched everything, but you still feel even after you found everything you could find that there's just like, there's more that you like would want. Ugh, and, I like, hate unsolved cases for that reason. Right. And even, even the ones that may be solved, I feel like maybe the fact that you're now doing the podcast and making it this, you know, wonderful medium, you know, maybe it's a form of closure in a way to help close out your research on the case in a way. Like, not close out your research. I'm sorry, you're, you know, you look stuff up about this stuff all the time, but I don't know. I mean, for me, if I was in your position, that would kind of be a nice way to round everything out, you know, to get even something further out of it that you're creating from all the information that you just compiled in your mind, you know? Because 
a lot of cases that are unsolved have actually had a lot of progress due to some podcasts because nobody is really, yeah. yeah, nobody has really taken time to think about it. So if you have someone deliver you the facts for an unsolved case, there are a lot that have actually been really progressed from cold cases to now active cases for that reason. And I don't like unsolved cases for that reason. Well, the reason that they're unsolved, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) Let's clarify that. Yeah, let's clarify. Um, But I will do unsolved cases. Okay. I, because there's lots, like I'm going to do Biggie and Tupac. Don't mm. even get me going on the information I got on that one. Like you Kurt realize Cobain? you're talking, you're talking to a New Yorker. So you just, when you say oh, yeah. Tupac, you just struck a chord and please do Kurt Cobain because I, I will do Kurt Cobain. Cobain. I've got, I went I on a bender on Kurt Cobain and Courtney so me, Love forever. I was going to say, so let me ask you then, what's the verdict on, on, uh, on Miss Love there? You'll have to wait until the episode to hear it. Fuck. No, you know what? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that shit. Oh God. <laughs> I'm, I've been, oh God, you know what? Honestly though, not to be a dick, I don't think anybody was really surprised that he, that he ended up supposedly allegedly killing himself. Um, similar to before we hit record, we were talking about like, you know, Chester Bennington, right? There's certain people where if you listen to their art or their music, like, is it really a surprise to like find out about their like, feel like it's no, like, have you heard Linkin Park lyrics? You know what I mean? Like a lot of it is about, you know, longing for the ending of pain, you know, and in Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say, and that's why I like true crime. That's why I like learning about the psychology behind it because I've learned through all my studying and all my research patterns. So I recognize psychological patterns and nature versus nurture, you know, like it's nice seeing them coming and surprisingly, you know, when it's coming. Just so many people don't study it. Yeah. And that's why, like what you were saying with like Chester Bennington and stuff, like it's like after he, after he passed away, that's when you're listening to his lyrics and it's like, all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, that was just a big fucking roadmap, wasn't it? Right. Exactly. Like when you listen to like paper cuts, right. Or like crawling in my skin, like so many of these songs are about this like internal pain and mm-hmm. especially after you kill himself, you like listen to it and you're, and now it's like, I still listen to Lincoln Park. I've been listening to Lincoln Park. In fact, right before he had died, they were releasing new music and he released this one song um, called one more light. And it's a great song. Um, a little bit softer than a lot of their other music. And it was more about like caring if only one person is gone from the planet and like it's, there was this one really emotional performance where he had to perform that on like Jimmy Kimmel live, but he had just found out like 20 minutes before that, that Chris Cornell had killed himself. So like, he's like singing it and just starts like bawling into tears and shit while he's singing it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, it was weird because that was right before that was a few months before he, he had, you know, committed suicide and you, you're right. You analyze all this stuff like afterwards, you really look into it, but I, you know, maybe at the time, I feel like people attach all those things onto like a persona, you know, and they kind of like attribute it to that. And that's why I think people forget that when it's not that, when it's not somebody as morose as Kurt Cobain or somebody who's as troubled as Chester Bennington or whatever, you know, 
when it's somebody like, like we're saying, like Robin Williams or somebody like Anthony Bourdain, you know, um, you don't really see it because those persona signs that you don't just attach them aren't necessarily there, you know, especially in the case of like a comedian, like Robin, well, you know, like that Mm -hmm. nobody would have, nobody would have imagined that he was, you know, struggling with, you know, manic depression for like that many years, you know, and the same thing with like Anthony Bourdain, like it's not like with somebody like him, especially um, like after he had kind of after, after he killed himself, I kind of, dug into i mean i'd been watching him since i was a kid right and i mean like since before no reservations when he was just like on the food network and the travel channel when i was like 10 so i literally grew up watching him and reading no reservations when i was like a teenager and then you you really listen to his first book kitchen confidential and you like find out how he got famous and this wasn't somebody who rose to stardom when he was like a teenager like anthony bourdain wrote kitchen confidential in like 2001 and he was writing a book that gives you like an insight into what it's like as like a line cook, like the nitty gritty behind the scenes of the restaurant business. He knew it was going to make him a lot of enemies. He thought it was a book that he was writing for line cooks. He didn't expect it to become one of the biggest food books in history. And so when he was all of a sudden in his forties, he became a celebrity. So he had had an entire life of like drug addiction of dropping out of school of just bouncing from job to job to job, a lot of times under aliases and off the books and stuff and struggling with manic depression. Like even at one point in Kitchen Confidential, he was so depressed, he said at one point that the thought of him killing himself was what got him calm enough to be able to go to sleep at night. Oh God. Yeah. So like when you really research back into it, you know, because even like David Chang, who who is a very famous chef, who is openly uh, told people how he struggles with bipolar disorder and depression his entire life and suicidal thoughts. He was really close friends with, with Anthony Bourdain. So when Bourdain died, David Chang of all people was just like, like you look at somebody like him and somebody like me and you just don't think that that's the way that it kind of shakes down. So when you don't have those like personality attributes or whatever, and there's not that much to like research into, I think it makes it like a little bit more of like a shock and like harder for people, you know? And I don't know. It's just, uh, it's weird. It's just, uh, I don't even know how we got this far off a tangent. So oh, I'm way, just like, I'm way, like, Jesus. Wormhole psychology. I was like, Jesus Christ. Um, see, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done psychology in my film, in my film classes. That was, that was a mistake. Um, and that's, sorry, to bounce off the fact that we were talking about like depression and yes. super, like the awful negative stuff. Hang on, let me get my cat out of the way. Yeah, it's all right. Her cat's name, by the way, I'll entertain those of you who are listening. Cat's away. <laughs> her cat's name is wicca which is fucking awesome so you guys know and she is adorable and if you follow ashley on instagram uh you will absolutely see wicca at some point so you should fucking do that man and while i have you guys alone here for a second don't forget to check out my previous episodes if you have not already um i've been trying to up the content for you guys and make each of my guests right. better than the last but uh check those out if you have not and check out ashley's podcast um uh, which her Instagram handle is at Lullaby the Fear Podcast, but you can go to Spotify, Google, Anchor, Google, uh, like all these uh, all these podcasts, uh, all these podcast platforms, and it's just Lullaby the Fear Podcast. If you type that in, she'll pop up, and you should listen to it. That's the end of the plug. Sorry, continue piggybacking. Were you, were you plugging me while I was moving my cat? <laughs> that sounded dirty. My, but, uh... <laughs> I have my, I have an actual cat. 
An actual <laughs> feline friend. Oh, don't worry. I told them who Wicca was. Um, I'm sure you did. <laughs> no, just that. People can't listen to true crime podcasts because they're depressing. And right. trust me, I understand that. And so that's why the way I tell it, I tell it fact and story based. Where when I say story, I mean it's true. I'm just wording it so it's not she was murdered. Right. I was making exactly. it. It's all true. Right. And I do the breaks in my stories where I talk and I actually genuinely give my opinion and I try to make it a little lighter, but not too much to take you out of the suspense. It's not even light when you take those breaks. It's more like you're just being you, but it's not even that you're not being you when you read. It's just, it's become very clear that you've diverted your eyes away from the notes for a second and that you're just kind of taking it all in. And it sounds very natural. I actually like those parts a lot because you may even like, chuckle a little bit to yourself and like a nice like breathy laugh <laughs> like, <that's, laughs> like you do that you know and but like even when you do that it's because you're just like so into like whatever you're reading and like you're over you're just like taking it all in and it's consuming you and so i kind of like those little natural breaks there it's nice. it's nice i liked on the last episode it's allow me to compliment myself because positive <laughs> self-positive feedback is healthy you guys affirmation there you go it's not bad it's healthy as long as you're not hurting other people while doing it. Very true. So I was listening to myself when I went off book and I was saying, okay, well, this is, I'm not trying to lead the witness, but this is what I think. And then I started explaining everything and I wasn't looking at any papers. That was my head just really? going. And that's how I get with the case. And so when I was recording that part, I left it in because I want people to hear how I think when I analyze cases and I can only hope that people listening will start to pick up those habits where they'll be listening to a case and be like, hold up. And then they can start learning how to plug information and how to recall information and memory recollection. Like it's so, it's something that I, I want to give back. You want to give back to the community. I yes. want to give back the techniques <laughs> on learning how to maneuver around something complicated. Because once you can figure out clues, it's so fun to just place them. It's yeah. so fun. I mean, that's to gotta me. be, that's like the most, that's like gotta be the most satisfying thing in the entire world. And that's also a unique kind of approach to it too. Cause not, not, a lot of true true crime podcasts or horror podcasts try to do that. They don't. They're not trying to, you know, bring everybody along with the process. It's a narrative. It's a story. A lot of the time, you know, it's it's got a specific goal in mind. And with yours, I'm sure you do have an actual like goal in mind. But it, for you, it's more about just giving as much info that you found and researching as much as you can and laying everything out there. So whether or not that creates doubt for people, like that's not you know you're you're putting it all out there, which is a different approach than a lot of true crime podcasts out there, I think. Yeah, I'm not trying to put false claims on stories to make them more interesting because when you actually have, and this is this is a thing, is when you actually have all the details, like all the gruesome details, like the psychology reports, the autopsy reports, that's not boring. As long as it's, well, to me, but like <laughs> told right yeah explained and delivered right right it's very thought-provoking and i love that's also something you have to realize sets you apart too you're not just reading information off a page though i mean it's no it's you 
that is giving us all this information. Like you, we are living vicariously through you when you're doing all this research. So if you weren't making it interesting, then we wouldn't give a shit, but we do give a shit. So that's good. So that means that in a way, basically what I'm saying is that you're God. That's how you have to Ooh. see it is that you're, 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 you're this godlike character that is just kind of playing us like a fucking, like a puppet. Um, I am a messenger. <laughs> I am a messenger of the crime world. Uh, see? <laughs> see? Yeah, copper, see? Um, <laughs> see? He killed him, see? There was, okay, background on this. Ashley and I were messaging, I think like two or three weeks ago, something like that. And for some reason that like Dave Chappelle bit came up where it was just like, you know, that's how all bad guys talked in the forties. Like, ah, cause I'm black. Kappa, see? And then for some reason I found the clip and I listened to it and I sent it to her. But then for the rest of the day, literally the rest of the day, I'm walking around, I'm doing my errands, I'm doing my thing. And in my head, I'm like, Mer. Shay. I'm just like, oh my, my, ah, see? Mer. Yeah, no, it's okay. Well, it's like, come here, sweetie. I got something for you. You know, Shay. Like, I know. It's uh, so L.A. noir. Seriously. My God, yeah. I'm just hearing like the Maltese Falcon just like ringing in the back of my head. <laughs> um, Humphrey Bogart just lurking behind me the whole day. It's like, come here, sweetheart. I got something for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it's but, not the men in my life. It's the life in my men. <laughs> <laughs> just quoting uh, silver screen movies. Amazing, yes. Amazing. Film students at their best. Um, you, we were very different film students though. You were an actual film and theater and acting student, uh, at his actual arts high school, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I was not, I didn't land on film until I was way older. And then when I finally did, I decided to do my thesis on the psychological comparison between what happens with your mind and what's actually happening on the screen and how, and if they're, um, related, and I had to come up with a whole hypothesis on, on that. And I had to write a 60 page research paper on it. So I think that's so impressive. It was, that's it was fascinating to me. Thank you. It was crazy. It was, I mean, the short trying to think if I could boil it down to one sentence, basically I don't, I get annoyed when I hear filmmakers and actors say that film is a passive experience because it's not film is a joint immersive experience. And the reason is because, when you watch something on the screen, there are these open holes and these gaps left, right? And you automatically flood in yourself in those gaps. You flood in your own emotions and your own memories and your own feelings. And so there's a reason why when you're watching a film and something happens, like you can almost like taste something that you recognize or feel something that you recognize, you know? Like there's something um, like in the movie, The Tree of Life by Terrence Malick, right? I love that fucking film. It's just like, Regardless of its like possible religious overtones, it's just as cinematography wise, it is one of the most beautiful films ever made. And there's this part where Brad Pitt walks up behind one of his younger sons and just kind of puts his like arm around the kid's shoulder. And it's something that my dad used to do to me a lot when I was a kid. So like I saw that when I was watching it in class and like I felt that like on my chair. And it's like so film is not this experience and the re the reason why it's not passive this is not one sentence but i promise i'm wrapping up the reason the reason (laughs) the reason that it's not passive is has a lot to do with when you're a baby so um you are constantly craving a connection to i mean jacques lacan used to argue to the mother right so like after breastfeeding is kind of broken you know, kids need uh, things to tether in between, you know, like stuffed animals and like, you know, binkies and like things like that, you know, because you've broken that direct connection. So the idea behind it is that for the rest of your life, subconsciously, you are kind of craving 
to do that, to attach yourself to things that you are experiencing in your life. And it all comes from that. And then especially after the mirror stage happens with babies, which the mirror stage, I don't know if you know, is something that happens with kids between the ages of like six and like 18 months where they look in the mirror and for the first time it creates the, the I, the id. And it creates the holy shit, there's this like other version of like me that the entire world sees. And that's the root of insecurity for a lot of humans um, is that is you becoming fully aware that there is a version of you that the rest of the world sees that you don't see. And it's different from how you see yourself. So that insecurity mixed with you having a connection that is natural broken from the time you're a, a baby is why you happily immerse yourself into these screen experiences and try to flood it with your own emotions and own you know, you know, memories and your own reactions and, you know, your own yourself basically. So it's a, it gets a lot more detailed than I reference a lot of movies and I cite everything properly, I promise. But that's basically, so. I'm you there. I had the so, rubric out. Oh, so, <laughs> I felt it, yeah. <laughs> so, and you know what the biggest thing was? That sounds really smart and intelligent, but I got a fucking B. So like, how great can I really feel what? about it? Yeah. I was like, oh, you freaking biatch. Did you make the teacher feel insecure about the knowledge you were serving? No, she, all right. So she, look, she's a great professor, but she got her undergraduate degree in, the fuck was it? Psychology. And then she got a master's in film. And then she got a PhD from Yale with a concentration of psychology incorporated into cinema. Oh, so she fucking gave you the books. She was like, well, her class was the one that I got put into I had transferred schools and then they were like, you're gonna have to take film 101. I'm like, fuck you. I'm like, I'm not taking film 101. And they were like, well, you have to. And so I went and talked to her and I'm like, get me out of these classes. I just transferred from a school where I took 20 film classes. And so she put me in her close analysis class. And that's where all this happened. A lot of it. Oh yeah. And you were so, on a pedestal. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was like, oof. I you were that. high up. I was. Maybe that's why she gave me the B. So I, that so is I, why. So you know, tame yourself. You know, she gave me the pimp hand. Um, so she was like, she was like, no, you did really good, Psh, bitch. No, you didn't. Like, all right, you know. Get better. Uh, I became. Oh man, I became her bottom bitch. Oh my god. I didn't With realize that right now. Oh fuck. With one damn thesis, but I didn't realize that. Anyway, sorry. Way off topic, but um, yeah. So the psychology part of all of this is what actually interests me, especially with all with i think deep down that's why i really love your podcast because i have never traditionally been that into fear podcasts like that but you dive so much into the reasons why you don't just list the events you don't just leave it out there you don't tell some gruesome details you really dive into the instances why and what i'm curious about is did you ever start doing that with horror films when you were young and to preface that i guess do you remember your first horror film that you watched and you were like fucking yeah this is for me i remember my case so tales from the crypt used to be on at midnight and it was on on i don't remember if it's either fridays or saturdays but judging by the fact that it was on at midnight and my mom let me stay up to watch it it must have been a friday or a saturday and tales from the crypt oh god and i was terrified of the crypt really keeper. He was so scary. Like that scene where it's like the graveyard that opens up the gates and then you go into the house. Oh, yeah. And then he comes up and he cackles. Scared the hell out of me. But I loved that feeling, right? And my mom was like, oh, well, she can handle it. (laughs) And she even told me that when I was really young, her and my dad went to go see Wes Craven's New Nightmare. 
Oh, wow. Okay. And I was young and she brought me with them. And what ended up happening was my mom has this really big issue with um, children getting killed in movies. And mm. back then it was really rare, except for it was like Pet Cemetery, And that was like, everybody's like, oh my God. So when this happened in this movie, my mom didn't see it coming. And when the kid got injured, my mom was like, no. And she picked me up and she like, we left. And that was a memory that she recalls bringing me into true, like not true crime, but me into like horror films. And then I just, I got addicted to Goosebumps books. Oh man. And I I remember, oh man. I remember I had an older friend. Her name was Stephanie. Shout out Stephanie. Hey, (laughs) she, uh, she wanted to watch a nightmare on Elm street. Okay. And my, I was staying at her house and my mom, oh, I'll just tell this all crazy. <laughs> and my mom and her mom were best friends. And so she would have been, I want to say I was seven years old oh, at so this you were time. Like young. I young. was young. I was okay. seven and she was probably 12 or 13. So she was older than me. And I was at her house in like a trailer park. And it was pitch black. And this is like when you couldn't have all the lights on because that was a power bill. So right. like, yeah. you had like one yeah. light on. <gasps> Maybe this is why I record the way I do. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's all coming back. So oh my God. we would have one little light and it was a lava lamp. Oh. And my mom said, don't watch any scary movies. <laughs> so what did we do? Watch scary movies. She's like, have you seen A Nightmare on Elm Street? And I'm like, no, but I knew who Freddie was. Like I knew I was aware of, of all the people. movies to watch in that situation too. Like, why would it be a nightmare on Elm street? Like, and we put it on and my mom came in at the scene where Freddie's chasing Tina down the alley and his arms are stretched out. Oh and God. he's like, Tina, you know, and I was a rock. I was watching this like, well, that's really scary. But when I get scared, I just get cold from the toes to my head. Right. I have no reaction. It's kind of creepy. So when I get scared, that's how I get. And my mom comes in and Stephanie is just freaking out. She's like, this is so scary, but she's seen it before, but she's still scared. And my mom comes in and she goes, Ashley, why are you watching this? And she's like, you are not sleeping in my room tonight. And I'm like, well, yeah, well, this is the nineties. This is how we were raised. Karen's yeah. <laughs> this is how us big girls did it. And I was so scared that night because I used to sleep with my door open and I had like, I'm dropping the word like, like nobody's business. That's all right. And I had a bunk bed and where it was positioned, I could see from the cracks of the railing, the hallway. Hmm. And we had a little nightlight at the very, very, very end of it. And all I could friggin' picture in my head was Freddie with his arm stretched out going, Tina. Oh my God. And I told myself, if I am scared right now, he's going to kill me. So I rolled over and I was terrified inside, but on the outside, I pretended like nothing was wrong. And then that kind of just built this suspense loving sadism inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> And that was a long time ago, but I distinctly remember that moment, which makes me think it was, it was something that really had an effect on me. 
well, yeah, considering it was like 21 years ago and you still remember it vividly. Yeah, I would say, yeah. <laughs> I would say, yeah, it probably had an effect on you. Oh my God. And yeah, I just fucking nightmare on Elm Street. That so was good. That's uh, uh, to be in that situation. That is the worst possible film that you could watch for that, especially because you know, it's going to affect you going to bed later. Like some you're, slasher you're films. Dreaming. Yes. Some you're slasher dreaming. films are slasher films, like whatever, but that's different because it's like it has to do with like sleep it has to do with something you do every night of your life and that's probably what really got that movie to jump off when it first came out because it was fucking weird you know yeah it was definitely different like it was a different form of slasher where you couldn't escape him right which is everyone has to sleep it was was like a hell loop that's literally what it was it was like a hell loop and that's what really freaked me out i think about that was like well this isn't just somebody coming to a camp and trying to kill all the kids like no this is and you can swim across the lake and maybe get away from them no this is like you can't escape because you're not actually in your daytime reality like it's it was it was such a brilliant idea for a film and do you remember sorry do you remember dream warriors the third nightmare on elm street where no. they were all in the uh the mental institution and no. it was because they couldn't... I saw that one. oh it's actually the best one and it's is because it really? they yeah, and they can't sleep. And Nancy from the first movie, she's one of the doctors that's there. And in the movie, because what I did was I got so scared from the first one, but I didn't tell anybody. Mm. And then my mom was like, so you want to watch another one? And I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> and I almost did that thing where the more you watch it, the it's not as scary. Yeah. yeah. And that's what happened. So we watched um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Freddy's Revenge and then Dream Warriors and in Dream Warriors they learn to control their dreams and they learn to realize that they're dreaming and they can wake themselves up and I watched that movie three times back to back when I was really young because I wanted to learn how to wake up if Freddy was coming to get me in my dream oh my god and because of that movie I, I can tell when I'm dreaming and I can wake myself up that is still a skill. See, you can do that. And a lot of people can do that. I still cannot do that no matter what. And I used to have horrible nightmares. And I mean really? horrible nightmares. Actually, I used to have horrible nightmares every night of my life. Um, oh, my for, God. For a stretch of, like, years, uh, which turned me into an insomniac. But And this um, is why we are the way we are. Yeah. Ah. That's a nice harmony. You heard that? Ah. Got, that ah. got that high note. Um I still to this day can't do that. Even I mean, I don't usually have dreams nowadays that I want to wake up from. <laughs> but um, well, well, well. no, it's usually something stupid. It's like me walking out of my living room, ending up in the kitchen, but then ending up in the living room, and I'm just like annoyed. I'm like, I just want to go to the kitchen, you know. Uh, but I can't wake myself up from dreams. So the fact that you were able to do that because of that, that's like weird that you were able to like hone those skills. That's like. Now, while everybody at home listening is going, she's full of fucking shit. No, what happens is, is when I sleep, I never fall into a deep, deep sleep cycle. And because oh, of that, like... I'm constantly on like a level of consciousness where I'm semi-aware of what's going on. So that's why I can do it. Psychology check. Boom, boom. 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 Oh, man. So, all right. <laughs> so Nightmare on Elm Street really stemmed. That, that started a lot for you. That whole, I mean, in all of that. So I don't know. I mean, I'm sure as you got older, it's probably good in a way that you kind of desensitize yourself that early because then it probably opened you up to like all the horror films that are out there. And I feel like with a lot of people, they stay away from them because of like 
a scary movie they saw when they were really young that like freaked them out that they just can't watch. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of people like that where they just can't watch certain things. Like, yeah. Like my wife is like that with um, the, the child's play films, like with oh, Chucky. And, punt that doll. Right? Yeah. Like that's like- My mom, my mom hates Chucky too. She can't stand Chucky. Because it's fucking weird, man. And like, I, I don't know, regardless, doesn't matter, but um, crazy fucking films again. But I don't know. All right. So what was your, when you would sit down for a horror film, right? And I'm talking ages like seven, starting from Nightmare on Elm Street to like now, present day. Okay. Ideal- food or snack for specifically for a horror film oh, and right. and is there things that you should stay away from while you're watching a horror film okay. like obviously you're not going to have a nice plate of like you know spaghetti bucatini whatever on you know while you're watching a horror film or maybe you will. A, as i said i don't get scared so i'm a bad person to ask but i do get jump scared and it's very it's very rare because now i can see it coming i can a lot of horror movies bother me because I see stuff coming, right? right? And I now know, don't have anything in your mouth that's hard, that if you all (laughs) of a sudden were to clench, it could slip off a tooth and you could Uh... bite your tongue. It's like a Jolly Rancher. Stay the fuck away from those. So probably nothing you could choke on that's hard like that. Can't Um... have a lot of Skittles because you'll have a buildup of sugar saliva and you'll choke to death. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. A jawbreaker probably wouldn't be great either, right? Yeah, especially if you're at the process where it's all in your mouth. <laughs> ah, zing. Okay. Um, oh, you're just, you're just throwing them out there. All right, continue. Sorry. Because, <laughs> yeah, I, this is where I'm actually bad to ask because I don't get scared in movies. But if, if I'm watching something that might make me jump, so we'll say like a found footage film, okay. I know it's coming. Right. So I just don't have anything in my mouth okay and i don't know all right so you jump scare easily you said right not easily because i see it coming but it's more or less i don't like the sound of the jump scare right and it's always those cheap scares i don't want to call them cheap scares but that's what a lot of them are are cheap scares those will always get me just because i'm very skittish a lot of times yeah. But as far as like being scared, scared, like to the point where I won't sleep or like, I'm like really terrified. It takes a lot for like a movie itself to really, really, really psychologically fuck with me like that. And like, there are some films that have mm-hmm. like a lot, but I don't know. I just, I'm kind of, I just, I don't know. I've never understood it. I get so easily freaked out by stupid little cheap scares that I jump and stuff, but I don't get disturbed like that easily. You know no, I, mean? I get over it pretty quick. It, which, I mean, I think that's the hardest part for a lot of people is like, it's probably a combination of those two. Because I feel like when you get a jump scared, right? For somebody like you, you see it coming. So even if you do jump a little bit because of the sound, like you saw it coming, it doesn't really have that much of an after effect on you. But I think with other people watching horror, the problem, the reason why they probably stay away from it, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. I think that they're already in this like very... I don't want to say fragile state, but yeah, fragile state watching this film and they're getting really into it and they're probably psychologically scared. And then the mixture of them, their entire body just completely un- just unattached to them, like shaking and like freaking out over like a jump scare just amplifies all those feelings, which is probably the brilliance behind horror that I just described in a very butchered one sentence. But um, I don't know. I mean, do you think that's that like, I, how do I put this? If what- you go into a horror movie, scared thinking you're gonna get scared you're gonna get scared okay that's fair and that's fair 
I go into a horror movie hoping I get scared. So more often than not, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> like <Yeah>. sex. No. <laughs> it's like, I know this is going to be a piece of shit. All right, let's go. This is going to suck. Let's <laughs> this do this. Suck. Let's do this. Got to bang this out in a cool 20. I got to do some. some so some I, have, I have a Shutter account. Okay. So I'm that person where if someone says, this is the scariest movie on Netflix, don't talk to me. Because that stuff is Teletoon retro to me. Like right. it's just, I'll watch it just to say I've watched it. Right. But I know it's not going to be scary. And it's right. a mixture of all the true crime and all the movies that I've watched and taking writing for the stage and screen. So I kind of know where everything's going. It takes mm. a lot to really surprise me. So I got Shutter. I'm not plugging Shutter the streaming site or anything, (laughs) but it's specifically um, a streaming site like Netflix and Amazon prime, but for horror movies. Mm -hmm. And it's because I wanted to go to a community where I could look at a review for a movie and know that all these people are like me. So if, these people say this movie is scary. It's probably going to be scary. Right. Cause you're in a community of people that are like-minded. You're in a community of people who exactly. think like you who are like, all right, so if they're saying it's fucking scary, then it has to be like, yeah, exactly. So like, I think if a lot of people who get jump scared easily, if you know, it's, if you know what's coming, you're going to, you're going to jump. Yeah. Which I mean that and it probably sets the wrong uh, kind of exposition i should say uh this the, the wrong foundation um for going into a horror film i think i think for more people i know a lot of people personally who don't like horror films who don't watch oh, them. So you know a lot I, of like family members my mother especially and they think it's because it's just filled with like oh, they're gonna get scared and there are these horrible things like why would you choose to watch that whatever you know like all that shit and for me i like the feeling of, I like getting scared. I like getting scared, but I like getting scared in like a disturbed kind of way, like Midsummer. Oh I yeah, I okay, like so thinking about it afterwards. That's why. I I am a huge, huge A twenty four nut. Like A twenty four is one of the best production companies that's come about in the last twenty years. Like like bought like at all. Like I think their films are amazing. Even like the Lighthouse is like a psychological fuck, like head fuck, like. Not head fuck. That sounds bad. Mind fuck. Sorry. Head fuck sounds disturbing. Um, and they're technically <laughs> the same thing. True. I guess if I had said skull fuck, that would have been totally. Yeah, that, that was it. That was the bar. That was the bar. There you go. Um, like, but Midsummer, right? Not even so, not the ending or anything. I'm not giving anything away, but there's certain parts of that film that really, really kind of like just put you off a little bit. Yeah. You know, and that to me, I love that feeling of like watching something and being like, oof. You know, like, like having it really like feel it in the pit of my stomach, you know, and it doesn't really happen that often for me. Like, cause like, I, like, if I watch something that's truly terrifying and I get a lot of jump scares and I'm like freaked out cause I'm skittish, like whatever. But like afterwards, if I'm just kind of like, all right, that was cool. And I put on like Rick and Morty or something, you know, like what the fuck, what did that accomplish? You know, like whatever. But I want something that, like you said, that you can think about afterwards. I want something that you can like fucking stew on and be like son of a bitch and then get like more freaked out like yeah the more, that's the what more I like. you think about it the after effects that's like come on that's like the best part and that's why she started a podcast yeah, full full circle the flat, come full back circle. full circle of life <laughs> oh god so I, don't, I mean you watch all these horror films and all these true crime stuff do you think 
feel free not to answer this for possible FBI probing into my computer, but do you think that it's, I don't want to say therapeutic, but I'm going to say therapeutic. I don't care to imagine maybe not a specific person or maybe, Oh God. Um, murdering, flagged. Them, murdering them in a very elaborate way. Like, all right. Okay. <laughs> I need to reel this in. Hold up. I got it. Let me, let me clarify. As a mental exercise, okay. Do you ever picture yourself, you know, just killing somebody in the similar way that you saw in a film, just being like, I wonder if I could really pull that off. Or, and I'm not saying it has to be somebody you hate or anything, because I don't want to manifest any actual ideas into people. But do you think that that could possibly be a future therapeutic exercise of running um, yourself through an entire? crime and i mean the details and everything like thinking about where you would have left fingerprints thinking about okay all that stuff like Um, i'm talking i'm talking like running through everything so in a way if it is somebody that you truly hate and you're having horrible feelings you've run through all these crazy details that you're at the point where you've almost like exhausted it and brought it back to reality you know what i mean okay i see exactly where you're going with that okay and to answer your question i feel like if somebody says they haven't that they're lying however with that being said, I don't think some people do it where they imagine a specific person. Right. Like, I will put myself, and this is how I've tried to make horror movies scarier too, is I've tried to envision myself being in the horror movie. Okay. So, like, if a movie sucks and I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, now if this was me, will this make this movie better? And more right. often than not, it actually works. So, when I'm doing crimes and stuff and I'm going into cases – yeah, there'll be times where I'll think about it. Like I have no intention of fucking killing anybody. I'm too submissive for that shit. <laughs> so I just, it's very like cold case where it's like, and the luminol showed blood. Right. And then you're like, you stupid bitch. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, you know what yeah. I would have done? Like, like you, know. you should have took the bleach and a toothbrush and right. should have burnt that shit five States away <laughs> from this place. And right. Yeah, like, I would be very methodical. I'd be a very organized serial killer. Yeah, you fucking would with the amount of... (laughs) I would. You, I am talking currently to potentially the most dangerous human north of our border, simply because you have acquired so much knowledge of what not to do. And, like... And I speak Russian. And you speak Russian, which makes you, like, 20 times, like, scarier. Um, And, no, Russian's a beautiful language. I love, I love Russian. Um, no, it's not. It ain't German. Um, <laughs> I don't care. I've heard people say the German is a wonderful language. Like, yeah, maybe to you. I'm sorry. I just, I can't. No. Um, that sounds I so mean. Sexy. I like the spite. <laughs> they just sound so angry. I think it's so hot. It's angry, but then when they're calm, it sounds totally different. Like when somebody who's German is calm and they're talking like this all of a sudden, it becomes almost very disarming in a way. You know, it's like so they're talking to you like this and you're like, oh, yes, like more. And you're just like, yes, this is good. Yeah. And, and yeah, right. So, you know, when they go calm like this, it's almost very disarming. It's very calming in a way, you know. But then, you know, they talk like this and they just like, start, you know, they start like getting angry and you're just like, yikes. All right. Anyway, Russian, Russian is a beautiful language. However, I do not I think that <laughs> I am for the FBI agent who was listening in on this podcast. <laughs> I am not 
a serial killer. No, I'm not no, a no, murderer. No. I have no intentions of doing that, but I have every intention of trying to solve them, which is why I do my show. Jay? I thought you were, were going to say, but I have every intention of trying to. No. Um, no. Yeah, you got to work out the kinks, you know? Yeah, yeah. You got to, you know, you got to, hey, you want to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs. You know what I mean? That's, all that's, I'm a, saying. that's how the cookie crumbles over there. Um, so, all right. So that all stemmed from, uh, from food somehow. But, um, all right. So is there anything, this sounds kind of gross. Is there any food that you're not able to eat because of a horror or horrific experience? Like good example. I was not able to eat lasagna for many years because when I was in eighth grade, a, I was walking with a metal pole and one end of the pole got jammed between the upright of a basketball hoop. And the other one took a huge chunk out of my left leg. And I cut all the way down to my muscle. And because I actually saw my muscle for the first time and like the insides of my leg, I couldn't eat lasagna for a very long time. My God, you Garfield yourself. Right. So now I don't care. Now I eat everything. However, that's a good, <laughs> I Garfield myself. Okay. I'm going to use that. Um, <laughs> so is there anything that, it maybe it doesn't have to be food, anything in general that you don't do a habit or a certain kind of store or a certain kind of product that you buy or anything, a show, anything that maybe triggers like something or are you just totally completely desensitized at this point you mean is there okay so food i can't eat because food, of my food love or for true not crime? just food food or like a product like anything in your life is there anything that triggers something like that for a true crime thing yeah or horror or something that happened to you anything you know what i mean like is it like not something that happened to you. That gets a little personal. Sorry. Uh, that was, that's a really fucked up question. Sorry. I'm like, tell me about your most traumatic experience and how that's done. No, I mean like something that maybe you saw in a film when you were younger, although from what it sounds like you were pretty much a fucking champ that really takes you back to that. You know what I mean? Um, there's food that I don't like, but there's no food I can't eat or product because of a movie. Okay. But when I eat certain foods, I recall certain movies and I go, ugh, but I keep eating it. Really? Because I'm a fucking trooper. <laughs> <laughs> that's how, that's like, how I am with whenever there's a saute pan. This is going to sound super gross, but whenever there's a saute pan and I have a stainless steel saute pan, like a, like a shiny steel one. Usually I use my cast iron, but for some reason when I'm using the steel one and the steam is coming up off of it, every fucking time I get a flashback to the second Hannibal movie. When, I don't know why I knew you were going to say that. I'm like, this is going to have to do with Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, when Ray Liotta is just like sitting there with his fucking head cut open. Yeah. And he's just feeding him his own fucking like brain. And he's just like, like eating it like a soulless fuck. And for some reason, I don't know why, whenever I see a stainless steel pan with the steam coming up, that's what fucking plays in my head. I still cook whenever I'm going to cook. I don't stop. But it definitely brings that back for me. So that's a good example. That's what I meant. Or maybe I'm just psychotic. I have no idea, but you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any food things that do that to me, unfortunately. Well, that's but good. There's, lucky. there's parts of movies that have just traumatized me with food. Like if I see anybody eating thicker types of like Shanghai noodles or something, I immediately, Lost Boys, boom. Oh, or obviously. they're just noodles. They're only noodles, Michael. <laughs> yeah. Or... The ah, do you remember Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Kinda. <laughs> and like the guy, just the snakes, the baby snakes, where they cut uh, open yeah, the. Yeah. No. Woof. That was. And then there's like the movie Faces of Death. Remember that one? Oh my god! Yeah, that was a. Oof. 
Yeah, don't if you're not into horror movies, don't Google that one. No. But just little things like that. Which I don't know. Maybe it's good that you don't have a crazy amount of things. But I didn't even think about that with Indiana Jones. <laughs> Again, thank you, mother, for introducing that to my life at a very young age. <laughs> Connor. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was watching some fucking cooking show on YouTube and he, and the guy, it was binging with Babish and he did that where he had, he didn't have a heart, but he had something that like looked like it. And he was like, all right, you're going to take this. And he, I don't know if you ever watched binging with Babish's cooking channel, but he's got a, he has a hello guys. Welcome back to binging with Babish. And he's got a very soft monotone kind of voice as he narrates everything that he's doing. And he's just doing this. And he's like, all right. And then you take it out and you hold the sack out like this. And he's like, Connor. And he just started doing oh, like that. Man. And I was just like, Jesus Christ. Like, and he just completely broke his normal character. But yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Films, they have a very traumatic imprint on your mind. Like, I think the reason that I have such a horrible mouth is because one of the first films that I was allowed to watch with my parents was my cousin Vinny. Oh, No. Swear to God. And I remember Joe Pesci. And I remember because I was coming out of my bedroom. I had shared a wall with my parents and I heard that they were watching a movie and I couldn't sleep because I was, you know, I don't know, fucking six or something probably. And I came out and I walked in the point. I walked in when like Joe Pesci's like trying to like get out of the car when they're stuck in the mud. And so all I heard when I walked in was this fucking jacket. Like that's all I remember hearing. (laughs) And then, yeah, I think that imprinted on my mind like a lot. And then just See. watching all of the Martin Scorsese films and stuff like that, you know, just that was your problem. You watched Joe Pesci in that movie. I watched Joe Pesci in Home Alone, and now I can <sighs> I could break any trap. Yo, Home Alone. That was such a weird, like, diversion for his career. <laughs> like, it was like, it was. But it so was a strange. good move. It, it was, was a good a move. Great fucking move. But he, it was so weird. Like, we're talking. He was in the midst of doing these after these like award-winning Scorsese films and like Casino and Goodfellas and like that's what people knew him from and then he did Home Alone you're just like it's so good like really like it's just and the second one too the first two were really good I enjoyed the third one because they actually made it a different kid yes I I was really hoping they weren't going to try to you know and then that's what they did with the fourth one it's like now Kevin McAllister is Macaulay Culkin and then and then Macaulay Culkin turned into a scary character himself um <laughs> i blame michael jackson i do as well um especially if you f- watch that hbo documentary which by Anyways. the way anyways yeah sorry sorry <laughs> um but yeah so i mean it's good that you don't have anything with food specifically because like i i have grown to love food and i even love lasagna now you know when i can eat it and i don't like when something like that is ruined for people and a lot of times like it is like you know if you get food poisoning, right? And like you eat chicken or something while oh, you're and you can't sick, have it forever. And then you just, the sight of it just gets you fucking, you know what I mean? And that's how it is for like a lot of people. Like I had a friend growing up who she was a vegetarian since I had known her, but I didn't know this. Apparently she was a vegetarian because it was like Christmas Eve or something like that. And like her mom had taken her out on the way to a relative's house and they got like Burger King or something like that. I don't know, something weird. And she got so sick that she had to have her appendix taken out. Oh and shit. So that whole night is just associated with the taste of like the burger and like the red meat and stuff like that. So like she just became a vegetarian because of that. And you know, I mean she still ate fish, so I don't know how that worked. But um Oh, she's a pescatarian. Yeah. Or oh, I got not... one for you. Okay, mm. I got one for you. Mm. Now there this isn't from a horror movie, but this is a uh, psychology speaking. My mom really subliminally neuroassociated <laughs> 
the disgust of this drink in my oh, head. Christ. So we both at one point worked at the same place and at lunch, we would always get like monster energy cans. Right. And she always got the basic green one and I would get the iced coffee one. Okay. Yeah. And I had it every day, one every day at lunch. And then one day my mom was like, how do you drink those? Those are disgusting. And that's literally all I remember. The next day I grabbed it till this day, the most disgusting thing. I'll, I, I can't looking at the can makes me want to yak. Seriously. Yeah. I think they're disgusting. Wow. I'm like, mom, I mean, stop. I Just fucking seeded it in your mind. God damn it. Mother. Like oh, that would be a great horror film. Just the history. Like you become, imagine like somebody just becomes like a crazy psychopathic killer all because of a monster energy drink. Like, and his name is Kyle. Oh my God. And he punches through people's walls to get to them and kill them. And then they all go to like a big convention with people like named Kyle, but only spelled K-Y-L-E. But one of them actually isn't a Kyle and he's the actual serial killer. I really... (gasps) Who works for Red Bull. (laughs) That's it. Claim the rights. My movie. Oh, fuck. I really hope you wrote on that. What am I saying? I have it recorded. We're going to refer back to this. And then you can make the film and then look at your mother and be like, you did this. (laughs) <laughs> like i said on episode one it's always the, always the mothers mother. yeah, you said that in episode one that's something a big theme in this podcast uh, little boys and little girls it's always the mother it's don't ever forget that fucking mothers always which i'm not it's not a total surprise but you know <clears throat> not insinuating anything mom but uh whatever she doesn't listen to my show <laughs> whatever. That's, that's, the episode she she listens to yeah she'll be fine uh, <laughs> so so and that right. was the day Chris became Norman Bates. <laughs> and I did, I did want to touch back. Speaking of, uh, of, of, well, we weren't speaking of this, but I did want to touch back on Ted Bundy. I think I agree with you that he has become extremely celebrated and overrated and all that stuff. But I think it was because he's got a quality about him that people think makes him unique. That in actuality is kind of the case of most serial killers, which is people were like, he was one of the first people to like not be this like morosely big, gross, overweight person who you could look at and be like, oh, they're creepy. Like he just looked like a very handsome, normal, normal guy, had a normal family, all that stuff. And like in actuality, that's kind of the case a lot of the time. It's people that you wouldn't just look at and be like, oh yeah, they totally murder a bunch of people all the time. Mm-hmm. It, it just looks like they just look like people. And but he was the first one that was like publicly put on trial and like it was huge news and stuff like that. And that's why it became so incredibly like, you know, just circulated around the entire fucking world. But that's not exactly unique to serial killers. No, uh, it's not. And that's I mean, why you, I think- you would know better than I, but I mean, you know, look, there's certain people like John Wayne Gacy, right? Look at him, something off, maybe. But um, not every, but I don't know. You would know more than I would about that. Like, is that, you know- the case i mean you know run through the photos of all the serial killers in your mind if if you go through how serial killers usually have an appearance you can tell that the ones that are more organized like the methodical serial killers have higher iqs Mm -hmm. and they know not to appear like a serial killer and then you have your 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 b-rated horror serial killers like you have O'Toole and I'm trying to think of another just ugly motherfucker. Richard Ramirez before he got his teeth done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> before he got his teeth done. Before he got his teeth done. Before yeah. he got his teeth done. And like you have these serial killers where you look at them and they make you uncomfortable, 
but you associate that with them having a lower intelligence. So you don't go, oh, he's a serial killer, right? right? So people generally think that those people would be a serial killer over like your lawyer next door neighbor, right? When if you think about it, the serial killers who get away with it are the ones that know how to hide it, like Absolutely. Ted Bundy. And yeah. yeah, I guess you could say Ted Bundy would be kind of the highlighter, the spotlight of publicly <laughs> publicly shown. I can't, I, I can't fucking talk this guy up. I hate Ted I know. Bundy. No, I, I, I hate No, Ted I'm Bundy. not talking him up. I'm just saying, I think that's why a lot of people have that idea of where it was like, because it was so public, they think that he was like the first one that was like, well, he just looks like a normal guy. But I think it was like that aspect finally became clear to people. It wasn't just him. It was like people seeing him in the news finally, instead of just, you know, these local papers and reports that like you read, right? Yeah. All of a sudden this was a national internet. Fuck me. Sorry. Just fucking whack my microphone. Italian's coming out. I know I'm speaking with my hands. Um, he was the first one that was like internationally kind of like, you know, uh, shown or circulated around the world. So then it became everyone, I think, finally being like, oh, so they can just like look like us. Like that, yeah. that is probably when that really started happening, where people then got truly scared because that set into when they were like, wow, anybody could technically be a serial killer and you wouldn't know. Exactly. And that was also the time frame where like evidence and forensics really boomed right. because prior to that, so many people were getting away with murder because- they weren't a, they didn't have the capabilities to solve these crimes. Zodiac killer. Yeah. Perfect Zodiac example. Killer. Perfect example. And it's same with like uh, Joseph D'Angelo, the Golden State killer. He right, was Golden free killer, for, yeah. for 40 years. 40 up until years. like what was it? Last year he finally got like that, charged. Yeah. yeah. And it was because they tracked his DNA from a relative from like ancestry.com. Mm-hmm. And now the cases of serial killers are diminishing and it's because it's like shit now we actually got to try harder and now there's so much technology that they can trace everything with nowadays everything like everything and i don't know it just it's it's i think somebody like ted bundy coming into the public view was probably this sounds really mean and i'm not defending them at all but it was probably the worst thing to happen to like serial killers in general because it broadened the outlook it it generalized the um caricature that people have of serial killers you know it wasn't the creepy weird gross you know overweight or morose killer clown type you know whatever it wasn't that all of a sudden it was a young you know clean shaven republican who fucking you know who, who you know just looked like a normal dude and had a step family and seemed like an all-around great guy to a lot of people you know and that was probably the worst thing to happen to them. I mean, the best thing for like us who want to, you know, live, but like, <laughs> but like for them, that was probably the worst thing because it was like, yeah. I mean, that's that all of a sudden had everyone be like, oh yeah. So it could pretty much be anybody like that's. You know. Yeah. Cause it wasn't until they really, really thank you, Edmund Kemper for helping mm. with the progression of criminal profiling because hell yeah. It's also based on journalism too, right? Because depending on who is telling you the story, you can make anyone look like a saint, True. right? Absolutely. And Ted, Ted Bundy, like if 
oh god see now i'm probably gonna have to fucking do ted bundy because he's got shit that he did when he was fucking younger that the public isn't telling you and but once you know all that stuff then you go oh yeah he had it coming Mm -hmm. right and because ted bundy is so popular and he has a netflix series and stuff like that like don't get me wrong what he did was fucking awful and that's another reason why i can't stand him but everybody knows 80 percent of that case right and i think the more people brought in their minds to what serial killers and criminals can look like i'm not saying it's going to make you paranoid because i myself i'm not paranoid with everybody i see right like that's no way to live yeah exactly but it's important to possibly be able to recognize to understand when subconsciously you feel uncomfortable and if you talk to people who knew ted bundy they said that there were times where they felt uncomfortable and your body kind of knows before you do because i just for example albert fish that's the case i'm doing for next week and he got he got the full meal deal with psychiatrists they talked to him and all and there was one psychiatrist that said he is I'm paraphrasing this specific part he is like an epitome of a serial killer because he is a frail old man that nobody would expect and the psychiatrist said talking to him before he started talking about his crimes you would give your children to this man yeah the psychiatrist said that and that's what's so scary about those serial killers is because the ones that are, and this is why I find it so fascinating, the ones that truly have the capability to understand what they're doing mm-hmm. and have it have no hurt on their conscience, that's so fascinating to me. And I, wanna, I want people to understand, like, it doesn't just happen overnight. Like, it no. is a progression. And it is. with my podcast, I, I walk people from day one to the end because you start to see these patterns right and you kind of bring them along that progression which is nice and yeah so which is a good segue into uh if you'll if you will if you will if you will grease our ears a little bit um <laughs> would love to hear maybe a wee bit of a reading from the next episode maybe i will i have one on albert fish who oh. is what i call on my show the worst of the worst. The worst of the worst. This is what you're in for for episode four, people. And when There's I call the a worst killer worst. a worst of the worst, it's where they, their like their crimes surpass Bundy. Like yes. I just mean like their crimes. I'll be researching, and I know the case, but when I'm jotting my notes down, I still will stop and go, "Oh my god," because they have the the capacity to perform these crimes and it's like you're nuts yeah and then carry on and then carry on like i'm gonna go get the newspaper and have a job like that's that's i think what is so fascinating about this because it's it's something that's so far away from what we know because like you said you have a you have a guilty conscience i have a conscience i wouldn't be able to live with something like that i don't think no um i mean i can't speak i've never murdered anybody but uh shit but you know it's just something that's not in your capacity and so i think that's what makes it more fascinating so before this reading do you have any uh, specific trigger warnings you want to throw out to these uh, these folks over here before you uh, bless their ears i have to burp 
Mm, is that right? No, go into the mic. Man. In the mic. I'm yeah, about on, it. Jesus. Got to lightheartedness this a little bit. Lighthearted, lighthearted. I don't do sound effects. I need, I need that shit. <laughs> God, I'm not, I'm not as good at editing as you. I need the, I need the fucking belches, man. Come on. The following story contains subject matter involving graphic descriptions of murder, cannibalism, sexual assault, and crimes against children. Please take into consideration that some topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. It was a particularly quiet evening on February 11, 1927, in Brooklyn, New York City. A man sat reading his newspaper on the trolley after a long day's work. It was then an elderly man with gray hair and a mustache entered and took a seat in a nearby section. With him was a little boy, no more than eight years old. Moments had passed and then the little boy began crying for his mother. The old man tried hushing the child, but to no avail. When the trolley came to a stop, the old man grabbed the boy by his arm and pulled him off at the Ricker Avenue dumps. He led the child down a long, dark gravel road where a standalone house sat in an abandoned lot. The gray man took the little boy upstairs where he stripped him naked and tied him up, disposing of his clothing and leaving him there alone overnight. At 2 p.m. the next day, when the gray man returned, he had a homemade cat of nine tails and a wooden paddle with nails embedded in the end of it. He beat the boy until blood ran down his body. After using his bare hands, the gray man gouged out the little boy's eyes. He took his knife and cut off his ears, nose, and slid his mouth from ear to ear. The gray man's bloodthirst only increased. He decapitated the head and cut the boy's abdomen open and pressed his mouth to the body and drank his blood. After he dismembered the body, he packaged up the meat into newspapers and left for home. Once he was home, he prepared the buttocks for cooking. The gray man placed strips of bacon on each cheek and put them in the oven. And after 25 minutes, he added four onions and some water to create gravy. After two hours, the meal was prepared. The gray man had told himself that he had never ate any roast turkey that tasted half as good as that human meat. After his capture, the gray man admitted to kidnapping, sexually assaulting, and the cannibalism of more than a hundred children. Albert Fish would go down in history as one of the world's most vile cannibals and children serial killers of all time. This is the true story of the Gray Man, more commonly known to the children as the Boogeyman. Um. <laughs> um. All right. I. Have you heard of that? No. Have not. Um, that is hungry. <laughs> okay. You know what? I'm going to say this and I don't want anyone to judge me from saying this, but regardless of the fact that that was literally one of the most horrifying things I'd ever heard in my entire life. Um, I mean, he's clearly got a background in cooking, adding the onions and doing the gravy. I mean, that's like a pro move right there. Now that's a horrible thing to say, but all I'm saying is the technique like, okay, that right there, right. That is what I think blows our minds about shit like this because somebody is doing something that crazy and horrific and they have the ability to step outside of the situation in themselves and just be like, well, I need to add onions and, you know, make it a gravy, obviously. Otherwise there's not going to be a sauce. Like motherfuckers making like a fucking demi glaze while he's like roasting the, the cheese. Like it's just, it's the weirdest thing. Like that, uh, that fact alone, I think is what separates people like that from like the rest of us. But no, I had not heard of that. Um, I think I've heard his name before. I hadn't. I don't really know the details like that. So, fuck. 
And that's why I like telling the stories with detail because you can hear, for example, Albert Fish's name and maybe you've heard what he's done, but do you know it to the degree of what happened around his children? He had six kids. Did he really? He had six kids. He never did anything to his own children, right? No. Right. I would would think not. He did live with his one son for a long period of time. Okay. And when Albert Fish was arrested, his son had nothing good to say about him, but didn't throw him under the bus in court. So, like, his daughters had nothing bad to say. I personally don't believe that he actually did anything to his daughters with his sons. I think his sons just might've been uncomfortable with what Albert fish did to his body. Right. And when I say his body, I mean his own body because he was really into self mutilation. And I go into that too. And I tell you where it psychologically stems from and all the way to the end. So if you want to hear the full story, (sighs) you guys tune in for episode four (laughs) because fuck. That was. I was actually holding off on. I was <sighs> contemplating on doing Albert Fish, but I think it's important for people to realize that this was just some old man that everyone. Detectives actually didn't believe it was him the first time someone told them this is the man. Really? And that's why he got away. Yikes. Because nobody believed him. Well, who would? He's like, I'm a frail him. old man. Yeah, you know what? No, old men do that shit all the time. My grandfather and his brothers used to play that card when they would switch the price tags on cheeses and delis. They they play that shit all the time. I don't know what's going on. Like, no. So, woof. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Is it weird that I really want to roast now, though? Like, or is that... That's, you know what's funny? When I was thinking, I'm like, okay, so now I'm, I got to do a cannibal for Chris's show. <laughs> and I'm going to be... I'm going to... And I tried to find one specifically where there was more or less a... Uh, a rough draft of a recipe and Albert fish. Of course he was, uh, ah, man, he was advanced. And the part when I was describing how he, Mm -hmm. um, does what he does with the bodies and eats the bodies. I was like, damn, because Chris is probably going to be going into this. Like, Oh, this is awful. This is awful. It's like, really two strips of bacon. That's why I was like, "Mm." I don't know. I was the second you said like the onions and like, I knew him, he's making a gravy. The thought in my mind was like, oh, that was a good move. That literally, like, and, <laughs> and I should I should not have like had that as my instinct, but just because I'm a cook, like, and I and know that's why what that is. I was just like, oh man, this guy's definitely cooked before. Like, you know, that was like the first thought in my mind. Yeah, and, it's not it's not his first rodeo. I'll tell you oh, that much. Christ on a cracker. Oh my god. Woof. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to be tuning into episode four. It might be a little rough, but like you said, the fact that you call this guy the worst of the worst, that must take a lot for somebody like you. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, because I did a worst of the worst with episode two. I did David Parker Ray, the toy box killer. Yes. And his crimes are friggin' horrific with what he did to people. That was terrible. And that was like, and the fact that he never got convicted oh never convicted that pissed me off it's the same thing with the zodiac killer the fact that the zodiac killer had a heart attack before any of the convictions started or anything like that and he just died and there's a good chance that they'll just never fucking close that case really it it i think about that and it literally it legitimately bothers me and i mean like legitimately bothers me oh i get it like oh christ you get very passionate yeah like oh god 
some serial killers when I'm researching or some serial killers when I'm researching them, I'll be thinking like, how, how do you do this? Because the ones that scare me are, for example, Richard Ramirez. He knew exactly what he was doing and he was doing it in the name of Satan. Mm -hmm. And he felt like what he was doing wasn't wrong. And those to me are the scary ones because no matter what you say, you cannot convince them. No. And And it's scarier that they genuinely thought that they were on the right path or doing what they would needed to do, which it's like, if somebody's doing something and they know what they're doing is horrible, that's bad as it is, but it's almost a little bit scarier when it's somebody who genuinely thinks that they're doing something that they need to do. They're doing God's work. Right. That's like fucking yeah. yikes, man. That's like, what Albert Fish thought he was doing. That's why when David Berkowitz. Oh, oh God. Son of Sam. When Son of Sam, who I've seen in person, by the way, I don't know if I really? Okay. So yeah, I'll, I'll get into that in a second. But when he was saying that he was, you know, getting all of his orders from the fucking neighbor's dog or like whatever, whether or not that was something that he came up with to try to get an insanity plea, nobody knows. But if that's genuinely the case, it doesn't matter how much you convert to a new, to a born again Christian like he has. No one's ever going to believe that you're able to fully come back or something like that. Because that's like, if you really were there and that wasn't just something he used in court to try to get an insanity plea, that is a whole other level of insanity. Like a whole other level, and there yeah, I, d- I did see him in person, by the way. So how? Um, when I was in eleventh grade, and I was in a criminal justice class, and we took a trip to Sullivan County Prison. Um, oh my God! We took a trip to Sullivan County Prison to interact with the prisoners in the YAP program, YAP, which was the Youth Assistance Program. And most of the guys I met were actually really cool. In fact, my teacher helped one of them get out of prison. Um, but these are people that have been on good behavior for like twenty years. As we were walking around the prison, and they were just trying to basically scare us straight. Uh, it wasn't like scared straight, but it was kind of like that. I don't think anyone told them that. I don't think anyone said, by the way, this is just a criminal justice class. You don't have to scare them straight. Guys were still just like, you'd be taking a shower. Somebody comes with a back soap and beat the shit out of you. Like, they just, you know. So um, while we were walking from one end of the prison to the other, there was this older dude who looked like Dr. Phil a little bit, uh, just sweeping. And uh, somebody came up to our group. And like me and a cluster, like three kids, he's like, yo, you guys know David Berkowitz? Son of son. Oh, that's and cool. we looked and he was just like, hey, he's like, that's him. And we look and we're just like, and our teacher had told us before that he was there. And we were just like, are we going to see him? She's like, no. <laughs> she, was like, no. she was like, no, this is the youth assistance program. You're not going to sit down with David Berkowitz. Um, but yeah, what she, it was, it was, uh, that was, I actually saw him in person, which is weird. I- I have to clarify. The only reason I find this so cool and so fascinating is because of how that guy tried to get off of his crimes. Like, and then to walk by him and be like, Oh my God, that's, that's the guy. That's the guy. Like I was, I was watching a documentary. (laughs) I was watching a documentary on Richard Ramirez. And it was of his trial. And he thought he was King shit. And I'm like, God damn, could you imagine sitting in on that? Yeah, David Berkowitz was, uh, that was, that was weird seeing him in person. It was very eerie. My stomach kind of dropped a little bit because I knew who he was at that point. And I was in 11th grade. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a child. And um, yeah, that was an interesting trip. Sullivan County Prison, which was, I think, like an hour or so away from us um, at the time. And it was, it was all these prisoners basically like showing us that you shouldn't go to prison for the most part, you know? 
like yeah. one of the one of the kids tried to be like all tough in the room and like new york state if you're in a state federal prison you have to wear green they call them the state greens you know that's the uniforms mm-hmm. and one of the kids was like they were giving us all these scenarios right and i for some reason i was the only one who was not afraid to answer the prisoners questions i was just answering them on and off on and off on and off and then they had to tell me to stop answering questions at one point but um <laughs> fucking nerd no um so nerd uh, alert this one kid tried to play like be a badass i guess and um he was like all right they gave him a situation he's like this guy breaks into your house he ties up your sister and your mother threatens to kill him unless you come pay the money like what do you do you call the cops you do whatever and the kid was trying to be cool and was like honestly i'll probably just go in there and smoke that fool and the prisoner literally just shot up from the chair and was like wrong fucking answer got up dragged the kid over by his shirt they got a uniform threw a state green on the kid and make him made him sit in the row of prisoners for the rest of the day oh my god with their fucking arms around him and everything like and then from that moment on he was just like he was like shaking like and i was just like jesus christ so that was a fun trip got to see the son of sam and this kid who i really hated get embarrassed so that was, oh, amazing. That was, that was just great that was a great a great great day but oh, yeah. um but yeah it's uh it's it's insane i think I don't know the the methodical ones, like Zodiac was weird, because those letters, and the constant taunting of the police and the lore that went around with it and the investigating that lasted years and years. It just, it was such a different level because it was so premeditated and methodical and like, it there and like you said, a lot of it back then was that they just didn't have the resources that they do now. And is it possible that if that happened now? that they would have caught him probably so yeah, yeah probably i mean but another problem is that if you're dealing with somebody who has never been arrested it's a good chance it's not in the system you know i mean we deal with this shit all the time in like the school system i work for a school and in a lot of schools not ours but like in a lot of schools there's pedophiles and like people that have gotten in trouble and shit in other places or even not maybe for touching kids or looking at kids the wrong way stuff like that but if they've never been like arrested or they're not in the system or anything, you're not going to know. That's mm-hmm. the, that's the thing. So I think, I don't know, but I think if it was this year, he probably would have been caught if it was. Well, like yeah. Especially happened. if there's ancestry DA or DNA. Oh my God. I know. Especially I haven't sent mine out yet, but I'm totally going to, I'm like, I'm really hoping that it comes back as something other than just Italian. Cause I've traced all my ancestors back as far as I can. And everybody was fucking Italian. Like everybody. on both sides yeah it's cool but it's also not i want to know whether or not somebody played hide the salami when they shouldn't have you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. i want some i want some mixture that's why i'm glad that i married out of the the full italian bloodline like my wife looks like she belongs in freaking paris um literally and uh (laughs) so i'm I'm like that's what i wanted that i wanted like light skin light eyes you know what i mean like throw some fucking throw some europe in there like i'm done with this this dark Italian bullshit. Oh, you know? so that's your fixation with Germany. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> love, <laughs> gotta love the Aryan. No, um, <laughs> that was a bad sentence. Um, I don't love Aryans, <laughs> I promise. Um, but yeah, so guys, in- I hope you enjoyed that reading. <laughs> um, so that is the perfect juxtaposition that I was talking about earlier. Ashley just described something so horrific that it is genuinely hard to even wrap your mind around and imagine it because you can't even picture yourself doing something like that but you said it in this very low smooth almost like comforting voice and it kind of i don't say eases the pain but it kind of eases the transition a little bit you know what i'm saying like i'm working for that cinematic build 
Yeah, which is really, really good. I like that. So I don't know. This has been this is an interesting episode. I like this. This is a this is a divergent away from what I, I hope all do. you listeners aren't listening going, Who the fuck is this nutbag? <laughs> I'm here uh, to talk about casseroles. <laughs> no, I think I think most people who listen to this like the food is like a bonus, but it's really just the people that I have on the show. We're so um, different. It's so different. Oh my god. No, it's a. Uh, I love that I can have people like this on my show, and I and you meet the best kind of people. You and I never would have met, ever, if That's it hadn't true. been for like podcasting at all. You know, That's true. And it's it's like strange because like you know I don't know. It's just you don't you 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 look back on it and you're kind of like grateful in a way. Like I started doing all this remote because of the pandemic. So for mm-hmm. me, it was like, you know, when I did this in person, I used to record in person and I used to cook for people when I would have the oh, show. That's kind of cool though. It is, but also like kind of expensive and like annoying. Uh, <laughs> so like, you know, the first guest that I had, I made like Hawaiian style, like tuna poke as like the dish before we like, you know, ate. And I was just like, this is, this is like 16 bucks. Uh, so I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like, I was like, it's okay, whatever. Um, but in a way, this is kind of amazing and cool even more because I've been able to connect with people that I never would have thought that I would connect with, uh, you know, you being one of them. And even like my last guest, Ella, is a, a foodie from L.A. who recently moved to Mexico City, uh, who I met online and came on the podcast. And now she and I talk all the time. You know, it's like, I don't know, even dudes that I've known for years, but now I live like 20, 40 miles north of New York City and they moved into like Brooklyn and New York City so like I'm like two hours away from people that I know and I can easily talk to them and have them on the show and stuff so I don't know this is nice this has been this see this is the kind of episode that I'm like going for though where it's just like a really good conversation you know and excuse me cannibalism will do that to you hey it really will and god I really still should not be thinking about a stew but now I'm like I want the cold weather to come man I'm just like now I'm like "Mm." we have a question by the way from uh, from one of my well one of our audience members um, oh, interested from uh, I think I posted on this story but I'm not 100% sure uh, at Kate PFT our good old friend Kate hey Catherine um, I should love that <laughs> Katarina um, okay so how can food not make me scared to listen to the podcast how can food not make me scared to listen to the podcast okay I hope I'm hearing this in my head correctly i would say you have a food that brings back good memories in your life to boost that serotonin that happy juice and start off in a really good pace that's what i could say that's i was i was gonna suggest i was gonna say like a comfort food something that you could turn to in a way almost like a security blanket <laughs> like whatever that may be um Definitely, like you said earlier, nothing sharp. <laughs> nothing that can go down the esophagus quickly. Right, exactly. Um, don't want any of that. Um, what's your stance on the buddy system? Like watching horror films or if you with, with truly with somebody or alone? Like what would you suggest? I've only heard of the buddy system with like 90s swimming movies. Buddy. So, yeah. Buddy. <laughs> buddy. Yeah. Uh, You've broken my camera. It's like, where are you from? Far away. Okay. Far away. God, <laughs> name is Lars. <laughs> I love that movie. Silence. But yeah, um, watching. 
I fall asleep to movies by myself, like horror movies by myself. Okay. So, oh my God, I, I can't even remember a point where I had to watch a movie with someone else. Because I find that other people tend to distract me because I don't get scared. So I look to see if they're scared. And I know I, I, that nothing, I actually, I actually get, I understand that. Yeah. Nothing pisses someone off more than watching someone watch a movie that oh, yeah. you told them to watch. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. At this point, I like, I do that to my wife just to piss her off. Cause I know that she hates it. Like I, I like, I'll put on something like a video that I want her to watch. And like, I'll literally just keep going like that. And just like looking. Like, I know it's like reading over your shoulder, but not. I know it's the best. I love it. It's so irritating. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's so bad. Um, yeah, I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like when I'm when I've watched scary movies with other people, you don't try to act like tough, but you're just very aware of how you look and like if you're getting too scared and like what you should do and like I think that plays a factor. So yeah, I think that's good for me also. I don't know, like certain kind of horror movies, like certain zombie movies are like, are they the worst? Like, is it, like I don't know. They don't get me like into that zone as much as like a psychological like horror film will, you know? Mm-hmm. Like even like Prisoner, which you remember Prisoner with uh, Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal? Uh, no, and I'm surprised that I don't know it. It's a great fucking film. And it is a very crazy psychological, like true crime film from like 2013 it's called prisoner that would be okay. a suggestion for you to watch but even one like that you, it's, it has to do with like an abduction and like all this crazy shit and it's a movie where you can get very like sucked in and that i would kind of want to watch by myself a film like that so i don't know i mean if there's anyone listening who wants to start watching more horror films because it's cool um <laughs> you should start watching them on your own just to see how you react and if you get to the point where maybe you feel like you need somebody there to get through the film, maybe start with that and then eventually kick the fucking person out. You know what I mean? Just start dating somebody just for like three months, right? Just three months, you know, a good quarter, all right? Just one, just the first quarter of the year while it's still cold, all right? And then as the spring comes, you know, you get into be like March or whatever, you know, give them the fucking boot. That's it. Be like, look, it's not you, it's me, whatever, whatever. And then you, then you can crack open the good shit. You know what I mean? That would be my suggestion, you know? I have a suggestion for those of you who are like me and horror movies just don't scare you. So serial killers, they progress from harming things that are smaller than them to slowly not feeling as accomplished and satisfied by those. So they progress and that's how their crimes get worse until they're caught. Now with us people who are just constantly on that, say it with me, never ending quest to find a scary movie. I'm going to introduce you to horror movie shorts on YouTube. Horror movie shorts can run from anywhere from like a minute to 15 minutes. And they plop you in the middle of a scenario and they film everything out. And they're usually pretty scary because one, you have no idea what's going on. And two, the quality is really good because they only have to pay for like 15 minutes of production. I'm gonna write right. some of the, I'm gonna write some of these down if you have any suggestions, by the way. Oh yeah, okay. I'm definitely absolutely gonna take an edible tonight and try to watch one of these. So all right, oh, go ahead. Good. <laughs> so there's one called The Bells. Okay. And then there is another one called, I believe it's called The Wardrobe. Okay. It's the wardrobe or the cupboard. Slash and then cupboard. you know the movie Lights Out? 
the horror no. movie Lights Out. I think it came out in 2016, maybe later. Who's in that? Ish. Um, Anybody I would not like. I'm trying to like picture the, it in my head. The girl from, I believe, Don't Breathe is in it. Okay, Lights Out. And it's not Lights Out because I feel like it sounds very familiar. That's the one where that mother has that. You can't tell if it's psychosis because it's kind of a psychological thriller. And every time the lights are out, that creature is there. Hmm. But it's based on a horror movie short. Yikes. And I have a fucking story about this damn horror movie short. So I'm going to give you the full meal deal right here. Let's so go. I lived in this house. It was a three, the haunted house. Jesus. The haunted house. It was three floors. And my mom, our bathrooms, all three of the bathrooms were like on top of each other at one per floor. And I was just getting out of the shower. And I had to pee. So I sat on the toilet and my mom was above me. And of course I'm on my phone. And if you guys are like, Oh, that's gross. Like you're fucking lying. You do it, you do it too. So anyways, my mom, she who sends me, that? no, like, I know. I right. Let's be real. It's 20th century. So <laughs> who just sits there and takes a shit. It's the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my entire, like my God, like no. And you don't read good housekeeping while you do it. Everyone's got their phone, whatever. Anyway, sorry. Continue. <laughs> I digress. Yeah. So my mom, she texts me and she sends me this link till lights out and this is before the movie came out and i open it up and the thumbnail wasn't even creepy like there's nothing creepy about it i kind of had an idea it was going to be scary but again i don't get scared and the scariest part of the whole thing is the last second of it the last second and i remember just sitting on the toilet and i got i got cold right now and you get cold from the toes to the top of like your hairline and I remember being like, God damn mom. And when I, when I get scared or uncomfortable, I get more uncomfortable in movies and I tend to go, no, 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 no. Or I'll go, ew, because I'm getting uncomfortable. I'm not getting like scared. Right. Right. Well, this one, you turn the lights out, you see a silhouette, you turn the lights on, it's gone. You turn the lights off, the silhouette's closer. You turn the lights on, it's gone. So you know what's happening. You know what's going to happen, right? And yeah, that last fucking second, man. Fuck's sakes. Yikes. Fuck's sakes. And that was like, I need to watch horror movie shorts because they scare me. I feel like maybe because it's in such a compressed amount of time too, it doesn't really give you time to adjust properly. It doesn't. It doesn't give you any time to kind of settle in. That's kind of brilliant. They are, yeah, horror movie shorts on YouTube. So it's super free. And then if you click one, there's actually a production company. I don't remember the name of the production company, but they do so many of them. And you, they just start looping and playing, so you can watch tons of them for hours. I have to, I have to do that. I have to check it out. I might even right. do that tonight because I'm just, I'm running out of shit to watch at my minute. Like one thing I could suggest to you for you to watch, which is more of true crime, but also there's so much crazy horror not really supernatural stuff just very eerie mm-hmm. is true detective the first season if you haven't watched it true detective i so, know what it is I okay know so it is, it's the first it. the first season of true detective is with matthew mcconaughey and woody harrelson matthew mcconaughey was up for an emmy for best actor for this same year that he won best actor of oscar for dallas okay. buyers club was this correct me if i'm wrong i feel like i might be wrong was this for like bonnie and clyde 
No, 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 no. Okay. It was a, it was, no, it's a, it's not a true crime per se. It is a fictional story, but it follows these two detectives in Louisiana who are investigating this case. And the, the story stretches over, you know, 20 years basically. And it's a perfect mix of just like creepy police work that you have to do for a horrific, crazy murder that has very occult kind of feels. It's a movie. It's a, a show. It's a show that's I think only it's less than ten episodes. Oh, it's like made for TV. It's a well. It, it was a it was a show for HBO. Okay, um, okay, okay. And each season of True Detective are different detectives, so it's different actors. Oh, I love it. So Anthology. yeah, what's that called? Anthological? No. No, you're close. Anthologies. Anthologies. There you go. That's it. Um, okay. Back on track. So. The first season is just Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey as the two detectives, and it's fucking brilliant. It's some of the best cinematography, acting, genuinely puts your stomach in knots, and it's along the lines of, like, a true crime, borderline, psychological it's – a, it's a psychological thriller, basically, mm, and – it is absolutely that's like the number one thing that I suggest to people all the time. I've watched that first season probably three times, and I every time I watch something different, it's it's absolutely. And they're only hour episodes, so you can easily just you know you can separate it and watch it. But you know I'll watch something like that at night, and it'll kind of like put me in the right kind of like mind state or whatever. But I need something like what you're talking about, like with these. I need something to kind of fucking put the fear of God in my heart. You know what I mean? <laughs> something to something yeah, to fuck with me a little bit. There's a cooking one. I remember it's called Diet. Mm. Right, that shit down. Yeah, there's one called Diet. I'm trying Diet. to remember some of these. Yeah, they're literally just one named, and some of them are just so scary. Mm. And it could even be semi stupid, and it's just the anticipation of it is scary. Like, there's one I'm looking at right now. It's called Guest. I've yes. never seen it. But Alter, Alter is the uh, the YouTube Alter. channel that has all the really good. They're, they're high quality short films. That's what I like. I like the the production quality because even some of the ones that are lower production quality, like Blair Witch Project, right? That stood alone for a lot of reasons, but a lot of it was because of the production and the production value and being able to show people that you didn't need this crazy multi-million dollar budget to make something that could be truly scary. You know what I mean? There are some people who watch the uh, the Blair Witch Project, but they're so molded and used to classic kind of horror films that it doesn't really affect them that way yeah. you know what i mean like a lot of people watch the Blair Witch Project and they're like this is bullshit and i have friends that I've, I've talked to about this because of for that reason and i don't know it's just the evolution of like that and like found footage films and like stuff like that it's like it, it if you if it's done right it could really really hit you in a certain place you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i like stuff like that and i like this idea of like these youtube shorts where they don't give you the chance to get comfortable. They don't give you the chance to settle in. And it's such a finite amount of time that you don't have an option except just to dive in and just watch whatever the fuck is happening in front of you. And you have no idea. Yeah. And because of that, it doesn't matter if it's stupid because you don't have time to think if it's stupid or not. No, not at all. Which and I kind usually of love. By the time it's over, you're like, Jesus. Nah, man. Yeah. Insane. Delve into horror movie shorts. You're welcome. Because <laughs> they scare oh, me. This, uh, that, see that. If that scares you, then yeah, I'm gonna fucking. I'll probably have nightmares for two weeks. Because um, you know it's coming. But you, you just don't them. know. You don't. Know but you don't know what it is. Booga booga. Sorry, my cat just walked in. 
Um, I know. <laughs> my cat's scary. scratching at the door. My oh, cat's like, feed me. There she is. Oh, it's a kitty. All I see is my cat's foot under the door. <laughs> Trying to get in. Talking about a horror film. Jesus. Wicca. <laughs> oh, this has been a fucking great episode. This is this is different. This is I'm a, excited to hear it. This is gonna be great. Do you we're kinda we're kinda winding down. Do you have anything specifically we didn't you didn't mention? Well, one thing we didn't talk about is the thirteen for thirteen hundred. Oh right. So we can briefly talk about that if you want to give people a quick overview of what's going on with that. It actually they just wrote articles about it, I believe, two days ago. All the articles started coming out. Yeah, we it. can we can brief it super so quick. Basically there's a few big large companies that are willing to pay people up to thirteen hundred dollars to watch uh, what like 13 horror films 13 horror films um and they even send like survival kits and stuff like that right because they're trying to like they're trying to like track like jump scares and they're trying to track like what actually like goes on when you like watch the films and shit but um i don't know go ahead you can give more details into some of the films and you know the uh all that jazz so pretty much what they're doing is i think it's finance buzz or financial buzz is the company and and dish i think yeah and they're gonna and they're offering like you said, to watch 13 horror films to test if production quality and I guess the amount of money that goes into making a film affects how scary it is. And then they have you watch things like Hereditary and Paranormal Activity. Fucking Hereditary. Just things like that. And I I immediately, and I, I actually so many people send me links to it. And I was so bummed out because the first person who sent me a link was like, look into this. I'm like, you're fucking right. I'm on it. And then it said only eligible to U.S. citizens. I'm like, damn. So stop sending me those because I'm not eligible. But (laughs) I feel like I'd be a very good candidate once they decide to cross borders. Uh, You of all people, you kidding me? Yeah. But then they're gonna like, they're gonna like get the results back from you. Be like, these fucking films don't work. Nothing happened. Uh, (laughs) Like you're gonna watch all the films. Be like, we see no reaction from this person. Uh, Yeah. Right. Um. Well, some of the films on the list, though, I was reading it, and I've watched the majority of them, I think. I'm going to look at the list. Because, and a lot of them are some of my favorites as well, but Hereditary is definitely up there for me. As I said, I'm a huge A24 buff, and that was one of the first films I watched. I love Toni Collette and like, mostly everything she does. I love her. She's fucking great, isn't she? I think she? she's so pretty. She really is. Like, oh my I god, there's something so like... she's so pretty. Oh, Ugh. god. And she's amazing actress, and but Hereditary was fucking insane, like and the That's memes funny. that came out of the memes that came out of Hereditary, like where it's like the little girl riding in the car, yeah, and then it's like on top of the girl's head, it says like you like me, and then like there's just a telephone pole, and it says like Monday morning, Delta and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like oh Delta my god, variance. like that's fucking horrible, Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm looking at the movie list. All right, hit me. I- I've seen every one of these. And I could tell you which ones and actually probably which scenes would make my heart rate go up. Okay. But a lot of these I've seen and I don't find scary. So the first one is Saw, which if that was to make your heart rate would go up, I think it would be due to watching kind of like ghost pain when you see someone inflicting pain on someone and then you subconsciously feel it, which causes your heart rate to go up. Right. I think that's what would happen. So if I watch that, that's what would happen. Two is the Amityville Horror. It doesn't say which year. Okay, because there's a bunch of them. Like, um, I think year is important. Uh, yeah, I would hope so, because they're very different films, a lot of them. Yeah. A Quiet Place and A Quiet Place 2. Hell yeah. I couldn't 
finish the first one. Really? I couldn't finish it. Really? And it wasn't because it was bad. It was just, uh, in my opinion, it couldn't hook me. It and is, that was the same much. with Hereditary. Really? I didn't, I didn't like Hereditary. Oh, but no. that's, but I'm gonna blame it on the fact that they hyped that up. They did. They really and I did. think that's what it was. Like for with Midsummer, I watched it before it kind of came out. Right. Because I kind of heard about it some different way. So I found it and I watched it, and that one hit me different. But it wasn't hyped up yet. So that matters. It does matter because it gives you a preset already before you like watch the film. Yeah. And that's that whole, when you're watching a movie and you're going into it scared. Right. Yeah. So the other one is Candyman. I'm assuming it's Tony Todd's from the, when when did that come out in the eighties? Well, a new one just came out. I want to see that. With Jordan Peele. Yeah. Jordan Peele's candy, which first of all, can we just say, I am thrilled that Jordan Peele, somebody who I have loved for years has now become a monumental figure in like psychological horror. Like he hasn't done one film I did not like. Not one. Like they literally are so good. I watched Get Out, which I'm sure is on I think Get Out's on the list, right? Yes it is. And then after watching that, I was like, that's not just one of the best horror films I've ever seen. That's one of the best films I've ever seen. Like that was just amazing. And then Us came out. Oh yeah, I remember that one. Fucking that shit was like a whole other level of creepy for he's so really, many reasons. He's just like He's like the newer, vamped up M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Like, you know you're probably not going to guess the ending. Yeah. <laughs> but he's so good. I actually love his movies, so he's so good. He's so good. So he, the re- next he one, redid the Twilight Zone, too. You know that? Jordan Peele? Yeah. He, they came out, CBS All Access, CBS is like streaming service. You could probably find that online if you try he did new episodes of the twilight zone and he did the narration in the beginning him like you are now in the twilight zone like those and it's the episodes feature such amazing actors they're all individual stories just like the twilight zone so fucking amazing i'm on it because i love anthology seriously watch it oh god so the next one is the blair witch project which i am assuming is the old one from 1997 Eight, yes, I think ninety-seven. Yeah, about that. See, that one would get me at one part, and that would be at the very end when he's standing in the corner, and that's just because that makes me so uncomfortable because they built it up saying that if you're standing in the corner, she's yeah, behind you. Like, exactly. Ooh, see, I got goosebumps right now. Like, ooh, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, insidious. Okay. One fucking scene. One fucking scene, man. That devil behind Patrick Wilson's body, man. Oh, man. That scene, I did not know that was coming. I was in theaters. And this is the thing I don't particularly enjoy about, like, the Conjuring universe is I don't like that old cinematic dun, 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 dun I know, yeah, the psycho kind of shit, yeah. I'm not really big on that because it more or less annoys me than scares me. Right. That that red lipstick demon, no, it's still scary to me. It's still scary. Oh, and my ex hates this movie sinister i liked it i loved that movie i thought the premise was so friggin' good uh, isn't that one no no hostel is the one you suggested on your show hostel, okay yeah. 
Um, which, by the way, at the end of your episodes, you always recommend a movie, which I love. Also, people should listen to that as well. So good movies. Good movies. Yes, there's a very big difference. Good movies. <laughs> These movies that I think are good that have actually had an effect on my life. Right. It's my podcast. It's about me. <laughs> it's my fucking show. I can say what I want. God damn it. So the next one is Ghetto. Okay. And then the next one is The Purge. I think The Purge has kind of been done to death, but the first one was really good. The first one was out. really good. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, it's the same thing. Like the first one, it's kind of like watching like the first Harry Potter film. Oh, like you're classic. never, you're never going to, first enter that world ever again exactly that's why those first films like i rewatched the sorcerer's stone so much for that reason because i mean don't get me wrong the the later ones way scarier way better a lot more dark like hell yeah but you feel the first like the first three movies you can feel like you get it it feels warm right which similar to the purge and similar in my mind with saw um the saw movies started getting exponentially more and more kind of graphic and they really made them a lot more bloody and stuff but as i was saying to you before we were recording was that the first saw film is really not that bloody at all no it's not it's really not like except for the famous scene that everybody knows but before that it's really just a very well done psychological thriller and it really fucks with you mentally and that is a hard thing to do i mean part of that horrible giant research paper that i wrote in school was me talking about black swan the film that's a good movie and the reason is because darren aronofsky who directed that film wanted to accomplish something where he was having people experience what he called like empathetic uh pain so there's two types of like when you watch a horror film right or any kind of film there's two kinds of pain that you feel there's like visceral right and there's like psychological empathetic so like visceral is like if you see somebody you know, get nails dug into their face or something. And you like, have, you just, you, for some reason, get that feeling like, you know what I mean? Ghost pain. Yeah. Yeah. Ghost pain. There you go. That's that you reminded me of that earlier when you said ghost pain and the other kind is psychological empathy. So that's on a deeper level. It's like in black swan, spoiler alert, when um, she starts pulling feathers out of her back painfully. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And it's hitting you that she's out of her mind and that it's schizophrenia and that it's like, you know what I mean? Like, it you would think that that would be visceral because you're watching her pull these feathers bloodily out of her back. Yeah. But that's not what happened. They actually tested a bunch of people and this research uh, company put monitors on people and tracked like brain waves while they were watching that. And it turned out the majority of people actually had the mental empathetic pain, meaning psychologically they were like, holy shit, this is when she's realizing that she's crazy. Like she's insane. Yeah. And so that's reaching pain to your audience on like a whole other level. I might rewatch and that. I haven't seen that since I came out. You absolutely should. I it forgot is so about that movie. Good. First of all, Vincent Cassell, the dance teacher, that man could get it any day of the week. I fucking love him so much. His Instagram too, what a vibe. But um, <laughs> the Natalie Portman is amazing in that film. Mila Kunis is incredible. Like the woman that plays her mother, it's always the mother, literally. Oh, fucking of um, course. Yeah, but that's that ghost pain that's why movies like saw really fucked with you because it puts you in this a lot of it is that you're connecting i think with like desperation you know and you're attaching yourself in that situation and that's what really fucks with you it's not like having to saw off your own fucking foot to escape a place obviously is horrible but i don't really think that's what 
fucks with people. I think it's the desperation that brings you to that, that really made Saw one of the best films ever. Yeah, because like, you had to think, because, for example, I do it with Saw all the time, and this is why I, I like torture movies, <laughs> and it's because I think, could I do that in that scenario? And there's some where, no matter how much I wanted to live, I don't think I'd be able to get over that friggin' psychological hurdle of actually being able to rip my entire fingers out, just stuff yep. like that. And it's it's just interesting to see what your mind, because what your mind truly controls over your body. I think it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And Saw just does that. All, all of them just absolutely. make you go, oh, shit. So what else is on the list, or is that it? Um, I think there is a couple more. Is there now? There's a lot of these movies. Uh. Yeah, there's three more. So Halloween 2018, which I loved. Really? The Rob Zombie one, so oh, good. Yeah. The Zombie's second one, awesome. yeah. the second one, I, I actually Googled, why why did Rob Zombie do this movie? It was I so bad. The second one was so bad. And his response was, he literally just didn't want someone else to do it. Yeah. And you know what, Rob Zombie? We got that vibe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. And Paranormal Activity. That Obviously. one would get me because of the quality. The quality makes you feel like you are watching someone's home tape. Right. Especially since now we're all social media based and it's all very like, yep. It, that's how it looks. So that one would get me. And 13 is Annabelle, which by the way, I can't stand the Annabelle movies. I really? watch them. Well, I watch them because I have to watch them, right. but I, it's not because I particularly enjoy it. The nun was, no, that's not true. The conjuring three the Devil Made Me Do It was the last one I watched. And uh, if it wasn't for the two main actors, I could not do those movies because I love Patrick Wilson and I love, oh, what's her name? I think she's gorgeous. What's her name? And her sister's in it too. Oh. Um, she's in American Horror about. Story as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm try- I'm, I don't know who you're talking about. Um, I need to know. I need to know. Shit. Oh, God. Why am I always blanking out on fucking names? I'll the- I should remember this. Oh, I know. It's driving me crazy. Vera Farmiga. There you go. Thank you. Oh God, she played uh, Norma Bates. I think which, she's uh, so pretty. She's she's absolutely gorgeous. I and can Vera we Farmiga. just talk about in The Conjuring Two when Patrick Wilson sings Elvis on the acoustic <laughs> guitar? Did that did that as a not to be too punny, but did that strike a chord with you? Yeah, it gave me some daddy issues. <laughs> I cried in theaters. I'm not even fucking kidding. Are Whole you, horror did you movie. Really? Yeah, I did because it just brought me back to this place of where I just want a father figure to sing. <laughs> oh my God. Wise man say. Harmonize. Only fools. Fucking Elvis. Oh God. Man, that was like towards the end of his career too when he was all old and fat. Man, that was great. Oh. He was stressed out. Oh, please. Listen, he was, what was he stressed out from? Living the best possible life that he could. <laughs> Like, oh man, I've got all this money in a running show on Vegas and I wear jumpsuits. I don't even have to wear like two separate pairs of clothing for the night. You know. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh, fucking Elvis. That was all of them. So absolutely people should try to look up the thirteen for thirteen hundred. And honestly, even if you don't you should just do it. You should just like it's just like I any one of those movies I would suggest you should watch, absolutely. I would say it's hard to find somebody who hasn't seen it, but at this point, if you haven't seen Get Out, only because it is so new and relevant and 
incredible and fresh. And that was Jordan Peele's, if I'm not mistaken, that was his directorial debut for a feature, I think. Yes. Which is fucking crazy. That that was his his directorial debut. Um, Which also, wasn't Quiet Place John Krasinski's as well? Yes. Which, that was a big undertaking. I'm giving that. Um, So you should absolutely watch those movies. Uh, You should absolutely listen to Ashley's podcast. Uh, you got you got a little snippet of it earlier, and we've been recording for a minute and a half now. I think uh, over two hours, actually. Dog years. Yeah, Jesus, like yikes. You're gonna edit this down, right? Keep the good stuff. Um, I don't think I'm gonna edit it that much. Did so. you want um, or I was gonna say remind unless you're editing. Oh no, I have to. The phone's ringing. Um, did you want me to edit our intros together? Ooh. Yeah, you know what? Because um, I can do it. Yeah, you tell me what you need from me or what you have to give me or what um, I should send you. So I will make it super easy on you. You send me the intro that you would have used for this episode. Okay. And I will use my intro, how I always do it. And then I will morph them together at somehow. So if you could... Send me, I don't know if you, it's whatever's easy for you. Just, well, you're easy to contact. So if I have to, cause Very, I was going to say, yeah. if I have to like overlay or underlay music, it's fine. I'll just ask, but yeah, just yeah. send me what you are going to use and I'll use what I'm going to use. I'll okay. mold them together and I'll the song that The song that opens up the episode that I usually play in the beginning of these episodes, ours is definitely going to be a Rob Zombie song, just so you know. Okay. Like, and it's definitely going to be. I'll send, I'll make it, I'll send it to you. And then I'll also send you my edited clip of my, when I tell the story part. Oh, lovely. And then you can do whatever you want with that. Hell yeah. Hell to the, yeah. Um, much like, unlike all the other episodes, I don't think, I'm not going to do a Danker Rank. I'm not going to do the Fuck, Mary Kill. Uh, because this hasn't been that kind of episode. This has been, this has been a breakthrough episode for me. This has been a very, uh, a very enlightening episode, I should say. This is what I would like my show to turn into, basically. We, be- we became enlightened by going to a dark place. We did. Oh, my God. In the dark, we found the light. Yikes. Yeah. That sounds a little religious, but it's okay. We're, we're going we're gonna to still roll with it. <laughs> um, anything else you want to shout out to the people before I start uh, stop this recording over here? I hope that you check out my podcast, the Lullaby Fear podcast, and follow it on Instagram at like, Lullaby Fear podcast. And... I hope you like it and send me movies that you think will scare me. Yes. And there's a lot of people out there. If you have horror films that you think will scare the shit out of Ashley, by all means, send them over. I'm going to put all of her tags in everything that I post um, at <laughs> lullaby, the fear podcast on Instagram uh, at Ashley.lana.marie is her Instagram. Um, I'm going to post all that shit and I'm going to attach also the uh, anchor or Spotify link to her podcast as well. Um, She's coming up on episode four. Episode this four. is episode four. This has been episode twenty six, I think, actually, for my show, which is crazy. Look at me go. Uh, which uh, I can't even. I can't even believe this. Is, I've done this many episodes. This is like this is insane. I don't even know why. I don't even know half the time. I don't even know why I'm still doing this. Honestly, like, <laughs> like it's beyond me. But guys, listen. Stay tuned for the next episode. I'm sure I may have someone on interesting, but then again, who knows? Um, this probably aired after my solo episode, so hopefully this made up for that. And uh, 
follow <laughs> Ashley on everything. Listen to Lullaby, the Fear podcast. And Ashley, you want to take us out with your beautiful catchphrase? And with that being said, sweet dreams. Lights out. <laughs>